0: PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 546 being recorded a day late, Thursday, June 13th, 2019. Uh, I'm Jim Tannis.
1: I'm Jeremy Hellstrom.
0: And I'm Josh Walrath. And uh, Sebastian's, uh, he's going to be here. He's just running a little late, so we didn't want to delay the show too long. So uh, we're going to get started and jump into the news, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to slide right in when he uh, eventually can join us. So uh, it was a big week of news. E3 was the event to lead the week. And obviously that, you know, there's a big console focus at E3, but there was also some PC related announcements because AMD, as they told us at Computex, was going to be at E3 to give us more details. We thought just about uh, Navi, uh, the uh, Radeon RX 5700 series. We thought that was going to be the focus, but, and, and they did go into that, but they also really stepped it up and announced that, uh, anticipated 16 core Ryzen desktop part that, you know, we, some, someone thought was, was going to be part of their original Computex announcement. They capped it at 12 cores at Computex, but, uh, there is the 16 core part and let's talk about it. We've got uh, the details here. It is the 16 core Ryzen nine 3950 X 16 cores, 32 threads, uh, it's four uh, three point five gigahertz base clock, four point seven boost, uh, seventy two megabytes of total cache, and one hundred and five watt TDP. Uh, of course, now that's that that's going to come up in actual use, but that's an impressive list of specs. And even better is the price, uh, at least relative to what it's going up against against Intel seven hundred and forty nine dollars. Now it's not launching till September, so we've got a bit of a, a bit of a wait here. But, uh, you know, what do you guys think? What, what do you think about this, this new part? Were you surprised? Do you think it's going to, you know, do th- th- you think it's going to fill the void and, and really uh, take away a lot of that market share from Intel on that high-end desktop uh, uh, part of the segment, market segment?
1: Nothing will fill the void in my heart, but this might come close.
2: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how it's going to pan out. I mean, 759 or however much it is, is, is still a pretty good chunk of change. And uh, you know, AMD's is pretty much a mainstream chip manufacturer when it comes to desktops. And certainly they tried with the four ninety-nine uh with the eighteen hundred X two years ago. Uh when the twenty seven hundred X was released last year, their top end part, uh they they pulled that down to three twenty nine, I think it was, or three forty nine one of the, one of those prices was its <clears throat> its initial offering. Since that time is of course gone down. And so uh people were kind of expecting that there would be a 16 core. I mean, we they they showed the 12. We figured that eventually there would be one, but many of them many of us didn't expect it to be announced this soon. Uh we we knew it would come kind of later in the year, you know, once they get things going, once they get epic really rolling once they start, you know, figuring out the best way to manufacture 7 nanometer parts. By working with TSMC on, on kind of a daily basis, there. Um, it's kind of impressive on paper. Uh, we've, we've got the two chips, they're running at a base clock 3.5 with you know some boost co- clocks of uh 4.7. Um, that's a huge amount of cash. They doubled the L3 cache. and I think that they kind of did that because you know. It, you know, go deeper, you know, once we actually get parts in hands and can really see the latencies, I mean, when you have a member controller on the same chip as as the cores, it's going to be a fast connection. When you take that off, no matter how close it is, it's always going to be a slower connection. So they've got, you know, all the, the infinity fabric connecting the north bridge to the, the, the CPU cores and they go through an organic substrate and there's something like, you know, a 14-layer substrate that they have there that's, you know, hugely complex. But um it's going to be interesting to see how they handle latency. But, you know, one way to kind of offset that is is you double the L3 cache. So you don't have to go to main memory nearly as much, and you can have things like prefetchers, um, you know, bringing back data that it thinks it's going to need in a short period of time and, and depositing that in the L2 and the L3 caches. Um, it's a neat chip though. 105 watt TDP for a 16 core 32 thread chip running at pretty reasonable speeds is, is impressive. Um, you know, I think that there was, um, you know, a certain party on YouTube, uh, talked about, you know, Hey, you know, the 16 core stuff will come up and, and let's take a look at things and Hey, they're using a lot of leaky transistors. It looks like for for this part. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be an overclocking machine. And we've seen people with hands on actually trying to overclock this and, and they've gotten it up to five gigahertz on liquid nitrogen for all cores. And that doesn't sound like an overclocking machine to me.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, uh, although I mean, and this is, this is where Intel, as we'll talk about later is pushing back in terms of like what, What's the headroom for boost? What's the headroom for all-core overclocking? Does it need to... Do you need to hit all 16 at 5? You know, if it only does 4 at 5 or 8 at 5,
2: Yeah, and there's 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 a there's an interesting... I mean, I would just... Okay, I'm not very hardcore overclocker. So if I got this chip, I'd just kind of leave it at stock. Maybe I'd push it up a little bit with all-core, but <clears throat> it's still going to be really, really fast. And it's going to be really, really relatively inexpensive to what Intel has that has that many cores, that many threads, and that overall speed. And again, you know, we haven't tested these yet. We haven't really seen what they look like in, in our kind of real-world tests. And, and you know, everything's going to be slightly different just because each chip is going to be different. And each motherboard that they put it on is is going to be different. And even though this is rated at 105 watts, we still don't know the, the kind of power draw that we're going to see, you know, when it's really boosting up and, and when there's, you know, if if it finds out it's it's got certain thermal um, areas that it can expand to. I mean, how much is that going to change? I mean, if you got really, really good cooling, whether it's air or liquid, you know, all these things are, are really variable. I mean, pretty much from chip to chip and, and, and motherboard to motherboard. But... I think you know the long and short of it is that AMD offers a lot of value and bang for your buck with a product such as this. I mean the 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 what do they call them the the Ryzen nines? Uh, they're both four ninety nine and and seven hundred and fifty bucks, and it's uh it's a good chunk of change for the typical AMD enthusiast just because of. Where they typically have spent money, but it's really interesting that they have gotten as high and as dense with this new seven nanometer process as they have, and, and Intel has got a lot of catching up to do.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned, uh, and also, well, we should we should take a moment here to note Sebastian has joined us. So uh, good to see you, Ooh. sir. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I'm here. The Celebrity Square
3: um family is a wonderful thing i just want to say
0: hey josh, no worries no Jim, worries the gift that keeps like on me. giving yeah josh as you were saying though uh in, in terms of what amd enthusiasts you know traditionally or at least for the last you know decade have been sort of the value customer uh you know you get best bang for your buck lower mid-range a- and obviously they're still there and they're probably not going to buy a 3950x but we're the we're the the big gain for AMD, I think, here is they're going to take away the Intel customer. Because there's a bunch of Intel customers, myself included, who are out there dropping over a thousand dollars on HDT processors for the last six years. And looking at what those cost now and comparing it to what again on paper, we have to test these for sure, but what appears to be a very high level of performance, I mean that's that's a that's a compelling case for them. They're going to, to, to capture that market share. And of course, also Intel's also fighting that, you know, the, the specter of their speculative execution vulnerabilities, which are not, I mean, as of the ones that are out right now are, are focused on Intel, more may come in the future that will hit AMD just as bad. But for now, Intel's borne the brunt of the negative PR around that issue. So if you're looking at buying a high-end processor, you're you're going to be worried about, you know in six months, am I going to have to apply a patch that's going to cut my performance 30% on this one? So there's there's multiple factors at play that are, are taking that higher-end audience and, and just handing it to AMD, it seems.
2: Well, and, and another area that we've touched on in previous podcasts is <clears throat> AMD has the first PCIe 4.0 implementation. I mean, you're going to pay a good chunk of change for even the lowest-end X570 board, but they've got PCIe 4.0 six-plus months before Intel, if not a little bit longer. Intel is going to be jumping to that on their platform sometime in 2020. and we don't have the exact time. It could be January, uh, doubtful, but more likely they'll have it by March or, you know, April. But that's a, that's a huge checkmark for OEMs. It's a huge checkmark for, you know, people looking at the, the absolute cutting-edge technology And if they can pack that many cores in and have reasonable IPC and have, you know, pretty good boost clocks and good gaming performance, and suddenly you've got M.2 slots that show five gigabytes per second performance in in reads, um, that's going to skew a certain section of of performance enthusiasts that have typically always gone Intel because of better performance. Now you've suddenly got a compelling part in terms of both the CPU and the platform itself and supporting PCIe 4.0, which we'll have drives here probably by August, if not a little sooner.
0: Yeah. And are we sure that Intel is actually going to go to 4.0? Has that been clarified? uh,
2: I mean, they're talking about PCIe 5.0 and the work that they're doing on there, but they're not going to skip out on 4.0. 5.0 is not even ratified yet. And that's going to be a 2021, 20 probably 2022, if not a little bit later. Okay, so PCI 4.0 okay. is going to be here for a while, but they're talking about 5.0 because, well, they don't have a product out yet, mm-hmm. and AMD's got it right now, and so they're they're kind of you know shushing it down. It's like, well, you know, we'll get to 4.0, but
0: we're working on a 5.0. Gotcha. All about that posturing,
1: and we'll sell PCI 4.0 asterisk with enhanced speed. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I get what Josh is saying. Definitely about $750 is a fair chunk of change uh, for an AMD fan to be facing, which is why I'm actually looking uh, sort of as I did with the previous generation uh, at the one just below the top end. You save 250 bucks off of it. Your base clock is actually up. so you're pretty much guaranteed sustained, is going to sit there. And that 4.6, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I bet you this one may have a small bit of overclocking room. It may be small, it may be dependent on the sample you get, but there might be some room to play with it. And honestly, as a gamer, you're not going to notice the loss of those four cores and eight threads you're not even going to notice the the two megs of game cache that uh, you're going to drop out on. (laughs) And and that all of a sudden becomes huge because for that type of uh, core count, for that type of performance, there's nothing really on the other side that comes close price-wise and performance-wise and feature-wise as I said, you're going to get PCI 4.0 prices of the M.2s are coming down. Sure. There's going to be a big, big hit, but it'll be interesting to see if some of those, the current generations actually see a bit better performance on 4.0, or at least give you the opportunity to sort of play with it, play with some of the clocks, play with, see what they can do. It's to be honest, like sort of an exciting launch. I, I, I'm also looking at that Ryzen nine thirty nine fifty X and saying, yeah, okay. I know that I love Threadripper and I know that uh, Doctor Sue has said Threadripper ain't go Threadripper isn't going away. But geez, I mean, w- where do you go from there? I, I, are you just looking at something that because it's a bigger die that or a bigger chip altogether that you can maybe clock it a bit better because the heat's going to be a little bit better? Or you know, are you really looking at 16 cores is being beyond what you're going to need anywhere at this point, unless you are looking at an Epic processor. It's, it's really interesting to see what they're doing. And regardless, and leading into the sort of the next point, whether we circle back or not Intel's competition is not twice as much. It's currently retailing for two grand if you can find it. There's a much bigger difference between 750 bucks and two grand. Oh yes, if yeah. if the performance is anywhere close, and not to like as much as we love Appysec and his leaks, even if this is totally off, and as we all know, Geekbench it doesn't make your Counter Strike any better. Uh,
0: the the price difference is insane. And that's always been AMD's strength, and they're really hammering at home now that they've got either parity or uh, better performance than their counterpart.
1: even if it's 10 or 15% less, it's less than half the price and has more features.
0: Yeah. So, very good news for AMD. And now, Sebastian, you were at that event, uh, at the launch in Los Angeles— um, I know you missed the beginning of the discussion here, but uh, you know, any, anything that you took away from that?
3: Well, I, I think the big story, I kind of like listening to you guys, and yes, there is the whole history of AMD. I don't think AMD is the same company. At least they're not, they're not acting like the same company. They act like a very confident company. They're a company that's doubled their share price since the beginning of the year. And they're a company that is making investors happy and is um, we'll talk about the gpus in a minute which probably illustrates this better but with cpu they're just giving you more for the same money if you look at the ryzen 7 2700x at 329 list although it sells for like 279 on amazon currently because of course there's new processors coming at the same 329 dollars price point they're dropping in the new uh 3700x which is also 8 and 16 cores threads but. Better IPC, and it's going to have very slightly higher clocks. And they've raised the level three cache, uh, the so called game cache, which is just level three plus level two cache, the way they're branding it now. And they're still hitting these really, really attractive TDPs. They've kind of upgraded the coolers that you get with these uh, processors in the box and overall giving you a little bit better value, but hitting the same price points. They're not raising the prices on these things. And they were already great. Prices eight and sixteen on Intel is five hundred dollars, and eight and sixteen with AMD is three twenty-nine, and it's you can get one that's only sixty-five watt TDP, which is nuts. So that, that kind of opens up like the form factors you can use with AM with Intel, yes, they have very high performant, very high end parts. They've traditionally been this IPC leader. They've traditionally led gaming benchmarks because of higher instructions per clock and multi threaded workloads. Like if you were kind of going back and forth on an Intel high end part versus Threadripper, even the 30, uh, the 2990WX, the 32 core part, that was still not like a gaming powerhouse. It was more of a workload powerhouse. And so if you needed multi threaded, stuff done for less than 1800 bucks you could get one of those and just blow away what intel could do if it was really multi-thread uh um like uh multi-focused focused. yeah yeah so and i'm looking on amazon right now there is an i9 9960x it's not xc it's x series that's uh you know it's only seventeen hundred dollars. That's the cheapest 16 core Intel part I can find. That's a hundred and sixty-five watt part and still much less than half of that. 749 to me, I think if you're looking at it from an AMD enthusiast perspective, that's the wrong perspective because they're probably still gonna be buying whatever they can afford. Two to three hundred dollar processor. If you want chiplets, if you want the latest Zen architecture, you just need to start at one ninety nine with the Ryzen five and go up. Whatever you can afford, you're gonna get a great value and a very high performing part but 749 for what is essentially a high-end workstation processor when we've come from many many years of Xeons being exorbitantly expensive the platforms are expensive maybe x570 is not a cheap platform it's not going to be like a 119 dollar motherboard platform but if you look at intel x299 like a decent board is well over $200, and that's the way it's going to be with AMD. So I almost look at this as X570 is kind of like AMD's current X299, where you buy an X570 to get 16 more PCIe 4 lanes and all the new uh, like uh added storage support and probably, I would imagine, better storage performance, including USB performance. And you get yourself even their highest end processor for this platform is only seven forty nine for a thousand dollars. You've got yourself the motherboard and the processor for seven hundred dollars less than Intel's cheapest sixteen core part. To me, that is just ridiculous. If you're actually pricing out a workstation for yourself and you want to do content creation, which of course has been AMD's mantra since Radeon Seven launch, content creation, content creation. We have this great GPU for content creation and gaming, and maybe it wasn't as fast as RTX twenty eighty in every benchmark, although it it could meet or even slightly exceed in certain ones that were more Radeon optimized, it was still being lauded as this content creator card. And that's absolutely what Threadripper is. Threadripper is a great option for anybody doing a lot of, you know, any kind of work, whether it's rendering or, you know, transcoding anything. And it's, I, I still think that, it's an amazing value. I don't think 749 is too much, especially considering they're probably the reason that it's being launched in September. We don't have a, a fixed date yet. They have to bin these things. It's not, it's, it reminds me of the i9 9900KS. That's not been released yet. They're promising five gigahertz all the time on all cores, Intel is. It's going to take them a while to bin enough CPUs to actually release that. And to get, 16 cores working at up to 4.7 gigahertz boost and that geek bench leak shows they're not there yet they're at 3.3 base 4.3 boost so if to get to that point might take some time it might take some binning especially because they're also targeting 105 watts it's not like they're promising 4.7 but 4.7 incurs this tdp penalty i don't know if that's the case how power is going to spike with these it's going to be really interesting to get these run them through longer workloads, let it transcode something for an hour and see where the frequencies are, but, and see where the power is, but it's just, the whole thing kind of blew me away when I was, I I expected the 16 core part. I knew they were going to do that. I knew they were going to put a second chiplet on there. That was pretty obvious the way that Lisa Sue was talking and kind of a twinkle in her eye about it. And then it came out, and then it was only 12 cores, so you're like, well, where's the 16? Because that means there's four disabled somewhere between those two chiplets. And here's the 16, and they're still hitting 105 watts, which is just kind of nuts. So I don't know if that's average power, if that's really the, the limit. But it, to me, this this whole thing is an exciting launch. All these Ryzen parts that are coming, the fact that they're at those same price points we saw before, but we should be seeing higher IPC if, you know, everything that they're claiming is, is correct. And, you know, they've added to the product stack this really, really aggressive 16 core. Let's just, you know, stomp AMD while we can kind of move. And we'll see, obviously, how it all pans out. You know, going back to what you said, this is not the same AMD.
2: It's uh, You know, I agree it's not the same AMD from in between... 2006 till you know three years ago, when Lisa Sue really was you know getting things in. But it, it is more reminiscent of the end of William J. Sanders III, his his reign, mm. which was a good time for AMD. I mean they 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 had bought up uh, next gen. They got the K6 design. They were able to you know gain some market share, gain some mind share. Uh, you know, with, with Super 7, they, they created a platform that was not created by Intel. And even though it was still based on, you know, Socket 7, they added more to it, a lot more value. And then they, you know, released their K7, which was a great chip for the time. I mean, it totally caught Intel off balance. And they were able to milk that for quite a few years until they got to the K7, you know, the Athlon 64. No, sorry, K8, Athlon 64. And they had a couple of really good years. And it's very, very similar how they're executing kind of their mindset and all the things that they lost in between with Hector and then, you know, kind of Dirk, who Dirk was a great engineer and did very well with what he did. But I just don't think that he was a great CEO and kind of the vision that he he pushed and was able to, to you know, actually show up in, in Bulldozer was frankly, it was it was a big gamble and and then they lost out huge, but AMD has kind of been here before and you know, they offer a lot. I mean, their entire Opteron, when they released it in 2003 was revolutionary. Um, X86 on, uh, you know, 64 bit was fantastic. It, it opened up the floodgates to a lot of software, especially in the enterprise that, you know, Intel was trying to push Epic at the time. And we all know how well that went. But anyway, um, yeah, this is, this is great to see this many CPUs and this kind of performance and for the price points that, that we are seeing. So
1: now you guys can go. I'll shut yeah. up for a while. One of the things we don't know, one of the pieces of the puzzles we're missing right now is the price of the motherboards. This could actually be a huge impact if, uh, as we've discussed before, the immense amount of cooling that they're going to need on these uh, with the the, assumedly uh, better electronics and VRMs to handle that. If all of a sudden you're going to be seeing prices on the new 500 series jump significantly from the previous ones, uh, hopefully not towards X399 prices, but with a, a group of people that are used to paying, you know, 150 to $200 for a flagship, everything and the kitchen sink included to that being what they used to be getting for 80 or a hundred dollars is going to add up into this. So it's going to be very interesting to see that, how that last sort of piece of the puzzle falls out and attracts people because value conscious, you know, they're going to see this and they're going to love it. On the other hand, they're going to say, you know, the compatibility says my older motherboard is still going to keep working. I don't need to give AMD a bit more money. I'm going to wait and see what happens, which could, you know, really impact some of the money that AMD is hoping to be making off of this brand new release on the flip side. You know, if it, the motherboard prices go up 20%, 25%, people are still going to be buying them, grabbing them, grabbing PCIe 4.0, and it's going to be lovely. You know, amongst the other pieces of the puzzle we've been talking about, that's the one that I don't think we've had any solid sort of numbers on, unless there was something I missed. Sebastian? I have a couple of real quick comments on that. Uh, AMD
2: is not in the chipset business to make money. They're in the chipset business to provide a platform for their CPUs, and they want you to buy the CPUs. If you end up buying your CPU for an X470, they're going to be pretty happy. Because they really don't make any kind of margin whatsoever. On chipsets, it's more of an enabling technology. Their partners then take the chipset, <clears throat> make a motherboard around it, and they're able to make some money. But as far as AMD cares, uh, the margins are all in CPUs. And so they could could really honestly almost care less if, if you decide to uh, you know forego uh, X570 and put it in your... X470 because they're, they're making no money off of chipsets.
0: Yeah. And and I would say too, to to reiterate and Sebastian uh, touched on this as well earlier, you know, again, from the mindset of a traditional AMD fan or AMD user enthusiast, obviously they're going to play a role in this. And I'm sure they're very happy about some of the options. They don't, maybe they don't need to go for the 3950 X. They don't need to go five seventy right away. But if AMD just sells to his existing user base, Nothing cha- There's no point in any of this. What, where they're going to capture, I think, where the, where the real potential is, is for people like me who have been buying high end desktop parts from Intel for years, spending $500 on X99 motherboards and X299 and whatever. And the top end, you know, started with the eight core and then the 10 core, uh, the $1,700 10 core 6950X. Yeah, I bought one. I mean, not mm-hmm. my finest purchasing moment, but, uh, you know, I used it and I'm looking at that pricing and AMD could charge $300 for an X570, or not AMD, but their partners could charge $300 to $400 for an X570 motherboard. And I'm still going to probably save $800, $900 over a comparable system from Intel based on historical pricing. So that's that market, the content creators, the the video encoders, the high-end workstation uh, VM boxes, guys like that anyone who needs that massive performance all those cores at those high at these now high frequencies they i mean i don't think the pricing is going to be a problem uh, because that's that's the market they're going to capture and they're already paying more than that
1: i was just going to quickly say that and there's a lot of customers that are annoyed because they haven't been able to buy that expensive processor they wanted cuz it that's simply true.
0: wasn't in stock yeah there was things things are getting better from what i've seen but there there was oh, a cool are, period but- where That was, yeah, shortages were an issue.
1: They missed at least one cycle, which people are going to be
3: remembering. Mm -hmm. Okay, now. I was just saying, like, think of the Plex server you could make with that 3950X. I knew people who were getting really excited about Ryzen because they could buy eight cores for about 300 bucks and significantly improve their multi-stream Plex capabilities. What about 16 cores and not having to spend two grand for it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, our current Plex server is running on a 1950X first-gen Threadripper, so we're already Team Red for Plex. But, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's move on because AMD had additional announcements, and I know Josh needs to leave. Uh, so uh, well, what's, your, what's your time limit, Josh? I don't know, about 20 minutes. Okay, well, let's power through right, the AMD Josh
3: stuff. talks about our DNA and GPUs for 20 minutes then. How about that? Yeah. Oh, for the so, love of Pete. Not his DNA, <laughs> our DNA.
0: So the uh, the other big story from AMD at E3 was the announcement, or the not the announcement they did that at uh, uh, Computex, but the flushing out of the details of the RX five thousand series Navi GPUs. Um, so why don't you guys, uh, Sebastian or Josh or whoever, uh, wants to jump in on this, tell us tell us about this.
3: I can give you like quick like specs right? and just an overview. I mean, I was at the event. We were pre briefed on this stuff before the actual E3 show. The interesting thing to me is that this they were very clear with the media, this is a new architecture. It was kind of funny. We were in one meeting where the, kind of the, the punchline was, before you leave, you will be convinced this is actually a new architecture, because I think there had been a lot of speculation this was just another revision to GCN, the architecture that AMD has been using since 2012. And if you go through and look at all the details, this really is kind of rebuilt from the ground up, a new architecture that at least, you know, from the surface might have a lot of similarities to GCN. But the 5700 XT and the 5700 were the two that were announced. Lisa on stage at the E3 show was holding a special 50th anniversary edition of the 5700 XT, which I got a good look at from my nearly front row seat surrounded by Team Red, which I did not really think about when I accepted the offer to move up. But it's, and that that 50th anniversary version by the way is clocked at 1980 megahertz boost as a, a significantly higher clocks all the way up we we'll, we can talk about the game clock thing i personally don't like going to three clocks they're now advertising a base a game clock which is supposed to be like your long term uh, clock target during long gaming sessions and then a boost clock which seems to be kind of a confusing approach to add a third one but anyhow uh the The prices on these things I think are a very very important part of the story, of course, and they're pricing the fifty seven hundred at three seventy nine and they're pricing the x t at four forty nine and that fiftieth anniversary edition with the higher clocks and the special shroud uh paint on it is five hundred, so right there with an r t x twenty seventy and you know if you're watching the video, you can see some of the performance that they were, they were showing their own internal benchmarks and how it relates to, for some reason they chose an RX Vega 56 for their comparison charts, I guess, to show a nice big gain instead of showing it against a Vegas 64. So I'm not sure if that means it won't quite beat a Vega 64 across the board, but I don't know, Josh, I, you've had a, a little bit of time to look over some of the RDNA stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have some impressions of, these new GPUs.
2: Sure, I mean they—they warned us very, you know, right off the bat. Uh, when you're dealing with our DNA stuff, don't get out the black light because you'll be disgusted.
0: Oh, okay. Messenger Sorry. RNA anyway. everywhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be terrible. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, this—they're the, aiming this against the the current RTX 2070, which. You know, sells still for about two sixty nine on sale on a really good sale. And so they're beating out in, you know, most of the stuff that they tested against the twenty seventy, and they're beating it out. And they're doing it with <clears throat> a GPU that is approximately two hundred and fifty four millimeters square versus uh the NVIDIA part RTX part, which is four hundred and sixty some, I believe. I mean it's almost <clears throat> it's a little bit larger than half the size and so you've got some margins cut in there i mean sure your margins are going to be cut a little bit because you're using a seven nanometer process that is newer it's denser you're going to be paying more for wafer but you're also going to be gathering a lot more chips per wafer and so they've they've got a good thing going that they've got some good margin built in right off the bat and it's a compelling performance um, they don't have any features like RTX, but, I mean, they talked about some of the, you know, the anti-lag stuff, which is which is pretty interesting. And I think that we'll get into that um, more sooner. I'm better at English, but we'll get into that a little bit later um, when we actually have cards and we can actually test this out versus, you know, NVIDIA cards. Because NVIDIA came out and said, hey, you know, that anti-lag technology, we've been using it for the last 10 years well once we figure out you know how many milliseconds we actually have from from action to photon then we can you know really see but that's you know that's one of the probably one of the bigger improvements they have they have that visual quality uh sharpening um technology that they talked about but but they don't have the big jump like like the RTX stuff like the machine learning stuff um the tensor cores that that nvidia you know has has you put into their their latest GPUs and has really inflated the transistor count and die sizes uh, by doing so. And so, you know, AMD has is, is not gone in that direction yet. But what they are offering is in the latest games without RTX stuff, really good performance at a reasonable price. And yeah, this is not... You know, from 20,000 feet, it kind of looks like GCN, especially how they lay out their block diagrams. But when you start digging into how they control warps, how they actually do their SIMD, um, how they, you know, added an extra scalar unit per core, how these two cores, uh, two adjacent cores, you know, actually can work almost as one core and share a lot of data and can make things really, really, really efficient with, you know, just just like cache structures, you've got cache locality. And so you've got these two cores that are working, you know, with if you've got a good enough compiler uh, technology, then, you know, they're going to send workloads that, that that are adjacent to each other onto these, you know, cores. And, and there's a lot of stuff, low level, that AMD has done to actually reduce compiler... um, Reduce compiler... I'm trying to think of the word... Complexity... So it's easier to program for. And a lot of stuff just, you know, you you don't have to optimize it nearly as much for the machine part to actually take that data and put it to where it needs to be and then the instructions. And uh, yeah, I mean, they've improved so much. And there's a huge amount of L1 and L2 cache that, you know, has grown dramatically. Um, You know, it used to be that CPUs and GPUs were different in that CPUs had very little logic and a huge amount of cache, While GPUs were like pretty much all logic and very little cache. Well, that balance is changing because you know, cache locality is, is really, really important to a large variety of workloads, even just, you know, still graphics rendering. We apply so many effects, so many shaders, so much programming to any one pixel that you, you, your, your data needs just explode. And, and so this is something that we've seen with, uh, you know, with, with graphics cards over the past 20 years. Um, So yeah, our DNA is, it's, it's again, it, you know, from 20,000 feet, it kind of looks similar to, to GCN, especially how, you know, they, they kind of talk about cores and how many, you know, shader units are in cores and how many um, SIMD and, and, you know, they're talking about scalar and, and whatnot. I mean, it's just the workloads that they can handle is it's, it's really flexible. But at the same time, they've kind of taken a step back, and that you've now got these kind of shader clusters with these cores. I mean, their their verbiage about it is, or or you know how they 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 name them is is obviously different from before. But it seems like you have a lot more granularity in how you're doing it, and you in theory could expand upwards in terms of um, you know cores per chip a lot more efficiently than what we saw with GCN. GCN just kind of puttered out the more cores you added, just because there's just not enough data pathways in there and, and speed and, and all these other issues to deal with that. It. it just didn't scale after a certain amount that you threw at it. I mean, just look at, you know, Vega 56, Vegas 64. And, and now, you know, the, the Vegas seven it's um, you know, Uh, Great. Uh, Another area I'd like to touch upon is GDDR6. It lowers the cost of the, you know, it raises the cost of the board, but it lowers the cost of the chip dramatically. And they're not as constrained about, um, you know, how many uh, transistors they can throw at a GPU because they don't have to worry about the substrate, the interposer, and then trying to fit memory on there. I mean, HBM is, you know, a great technology, but I don't know if it's ever truly going to be as big for graphics as it is just because of the need for bigger and bigger die sizes that people are willing to pay for. And I mean, you can only get so big when you're dealing with an interposer and four stacks of HBM. Overall, I'm, I'm impressed. I think it's a pretty good jump forward for AMD. Uh, they are not addressing the high end, which many people would like to have seen I mean, Vega 7 still hits that high point. Uh, it's not a common card. It's not a card I think a lot of people want uh, just because it is expensive. It it does pull a lot of power still. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't have kind of the features of what a uh, GeForce, uh, what, what is it now? 2,800, gosh, 2080 uh, has at that price point.
1: Don't worry, that'll change soon.
2: Yeah, I know. It's just all these stinking numbers and letters going around in my head oh, yeah. all the time. It's it's awful. Uh, but you know, eventually we will see a higher end Navi based part. Uh, we don't know when, but for the time being, they're just trying to catch up. And this is a huge jump up from Polaris, massive. I mean, Polaris is sitting down there at you know one hundred sixty nine dollar price point for the top end, and now we finally got a card that consumes less power. Not they're, they're still not at Nvidia levels for efficiency, even though they're using seven nanometer. But it does consume far less power. It's a lot faster. It's you know it's it's a modern video card that that, and AMD has needed for a long time to be competitive and and get some uh, get some share back.
0: All right. Yep. So a big leap, but not as impressive as what they're doing on the CPU side.
2: Well, it's, you got to look at them. I mean, they have robbed the GPU people of a lot of money. Um, a lot of talent has left over the years and they've focused on CPUs and getting CPUs there. And now that, you know, once they got Zen, the original Zen out, then they started to give more money, more resources to the graphics people. And this is really their first big jump. In quite some time, uh, where they're suddenly competitive with Nvidia, and at a price point, now we don't know how long that's going to last because there are rumors of an Nvidia refresh coming around uh, around the mountain, but you know we won't find that out for at least another month, so for the time being, AMD has uh, you know some good looking products on the way uh, coming July seventh seven 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 nanometer. How clever is that?
3: So clever. In fact, Hell did yeah. you notice the 7 in the next horizon gaming event logo? Maybe.
2: See, yeah. with a 7. Boy, they're yeah. hammering that while the sun's yeah. shining. Yeah.
1: Hey, but you know, they have hey, they have if the you, advantage. If you can they're kick it. it. Intel, why not.
2: <laughs> yeah. And they're why, kicking in uh, Nvidia too because Nvidia's not going to get into 7 nanometer until they jump on Samsung 7 nanometer oh. process next yeah. year. So that's uh, that's interesting that Nvidia is is far behind. But I mean, we kind of look back again. You know, design is is key. Design is extremely important. I mean, you can you can go to a lower process node, but if your design is crap, your design is still going to be crap. And I'm not saying that AMD is crap. I'm saying it's pretty good, but. We're kind of almost, you know, at that spot, if you remember back in, you know, 2003, 2004, where AMD was behind Intel in terms of process technology. But their design was so much better than, you know, with yeah. the Athlon 64 than, than the Pentium 4 that it didn't matter that Intel had a process node advantage. AMD was still kicking it. And so I think that we may see this the same thing, especially at the high end. NVIDIA's got the faster products, even though they're running at uh, TSMC 12
1: nanometer uh, mm-hmm. product,
2: you know, process technology.
1: And I think we're going to assume that the new super generation coming out very soon will be on the same tech. Yeah, it's oh, it's yeah. going to be 12 nanometer. Yeah, and, and so that's two really quick releases in a row. Uh, well, AMD if you is think kind of you're of spreading apart, their DNA sure. everywhere. Mm. Yeah. No, i not say, ridiculously close together. Just for NVIDIA without... Serious competition hitting them close together. True. Yeah.
3: Go ahead. I was gonna say, even with the move to seven nanometer, AMD is not that efficient. They are far less efficient than NVIDIA. If you look at the TDPs, the fifty seven hundred XT is two hundred and twenty five watts. The renders originally these were going to be two eight pens. They revised that. The original renders, the, what we have on our slides, were wrong. They said it's actually going to come out with a six pen and an eight pen, but it's still a two hundred twenty five watt. Board power part, and if you look at the direct competition to this, the RTX 2070 has 175 watt part with a single eight pin. So even at seven nanometers, Better point to get close to the performance of an RTX 2070, where Lisa Sue admitted, we win some, we lose some. Like it's it's kind of a up and down thing if you're doing head to head, just like it was with Radeon 7 and the 2080. Radeon 7 was a 300 watt, seven nanometer part. Yeah, that could sometimes be an RTX 2080. And this is going to be a 225 watt part with a blower cooler. And I'm sure there's going to be some nice aftermarket options. And they they talked about how they tuned this. So it's going to try to stop right at 43 decibels, not getting louder. But still, it's it's kind of amazing to me that new architecture, seven nanometer process. You still need 225 watts for 40 compute units to come close to 175-watt NVIDIA parts. So clearly NVIDIA's architecture is pretty damn efficient, you know. So,
2: Sorry, I was talking to an NVIDIA engineer that had actually formerly worked at AMD, and this was, you know, kind hmm. of a concern to him, especially because if you look at some of the low-level architectural detail slides, uh, AMD is, is saying that, you know, a lot of our SIMD units are going to be more fully utilized than our previous like you know if you did a a warp 64 on gcn then one of the simd units would be activated out of the four and and they would you know kind of uh cascade down well on this one is you know a, a warp 32 two by warp 32s are done and each one goes to the new uh, simd 32 units i think and you know they they have a higher utilization rate and if you think of how GCN, how hot and how much power f- that that uh, that that pulled, um, when you're using one fourth of of the, you know the 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 compute units at any one time, um, they've done some some good things to get TDPs down there with a new process node, but still. Yeah, they've they've got so much work to do to uh to kind of catch up to Nvidia and where they started with oh gosh, I can't even remember the generation the uh the 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 GTX 600 series where they really focused on on power and performance and then that improved with the 900 series pretty dramatically. I mean the 970 was what 150 watt less TDP part and and it goes again with with the current RTX Pascal no, not Pascal but Turing. Um yeah, yeah, it's, they got a ways
3: to go. And you're right, Josh, because they, they talked about that when we were covering architecture, because by, by being more efficient, you're not always saving power. You're getting more done, but by, by getting four times as much uh, through, it does initially have a bit of a power penalty, but overall, they got power down. And, and some of that was the process, some of that was the more efficient architecture too. Neat All stuff.
2: Right. All right, fellas, it's been a business doing pleasure with you yet again.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate so, it. Until next week, Josh. No, no so, Josh. I,
2: I apologize for not staying longer, but the the primary job is calling, and we have to do our monthly Windows updates. Oh, well. <clears throat> and only in the window that you're given. Yes. May <laughs> it go well. Thursday after the Tuesday, they release it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, oh God! Those. You don't give yourself any more lead time than that, you poor bastard. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. Got to get it done. Good luck.
3: Good
0: night. All right. See you, Josh. Thanks.
1: See,
2: can I Josh about,
3: Can I bitch about pricing now? Can we do that? Yes. Oh yes,
0: because you, you had you had some, okay. some comments on that. Yeah.
3: This is these are great. They're probably going to be really fast, and they're one of the reasons the TDP is up. It, look at the clock speeds; they're being really aggressive with clocks and i hope you know that we get some aftermarket versions of some of these cards that have some overclocking headroom and we can make our own 50th anniversary editions without spending the $50 premium and i the the problem i have is that nvidia set this ridiculous price uh i don't know why this became the price but they released the RTX 2080 and pushing really hard on their RT cores and real-time ray tracing, try to justify raising the costs of their like high-end gamer enthusiast card from 499 with the GTX 1080 to 699 with the RTX 2080. And you had to really buy in to real-time ray tracing to think that that $200 jump from generation to generation from Pascal Turing was worth it. And it hasn't been so far for a lot of people. And they've taken flack for putting so much into ray tracing and having these expensive cards. And they, they I don't know if it was on the roadmap from the beginning or if they backpedaled, but they came out with GTX cards again. We had the GTX 16 series where they had no RT cores and they were a lot more affordable, but that was down in the mid range. So, so there was the also no end, reason still, to buy them. Right. And I mean, there was, it was <laughs> totally no reason buy a
1: 1650
3: Oh, the 1650 no, not at all. I mean it's it's a little bit faster than the 1050ti but that's the problem when it's like a modest increase generation over generation then it's it's smarter to just find either used cards or closeouts on the old card. We're kind of in that flux where there's still, you know, Pascal in the in the inventory out there and it's easy to find these things. Com- and add to that the problem Nvidia had with just think about all the the mining rigs that have been disassembled in the last 12 months and just the flood there are so many graphics cards on ebay and it's just been there's there's multiple factors involved but essentially they came out with a new product it was really expensive they tried to justify the price by saying rtx look at ray tracing look at this demo look at the side of this car when there's this explosion and look at this water and it was kind of like VR, except without the immersion of VR, it's not quite the same. Ray tracing is not the same as putting on a, a, a headset and starting to get the weird feeling that you're somewhere else if if the game is immersive enough, if the headset has you know good enough performance, if the hardware is high enough. But it is a big, big barrier to entry with VR because it's expensive. And to get the frame rates to make it look good, you've got to have a really beefy system. You spend a lot of money on the headset. You spend a lot of money on the hardware rtx is kind of the same thing it's not as expensive but you've got this big initial hurdle 700 hundred dollar graphics card and even that one isn't fast enough to play the latest games at high resolution with the highest detail settings and real-time ray tracing enabled and have it be acceptable so then you've got to go to the 1200 hundred dollar 2080 ti and even that one is not going to be gaming at the highest resolutions and we're not even going to get into dlss unless you really want to talk about dlss and and, and- or adaptive
1: sync or G-Sync, rather. Uh, yeah, no. It honestly, it, it seemed like a split between it's the next VR and it's the next Bitcoin thing. In that, you buy this card, you're going to be the only person to able to do this. Just like yeah. you buy the, the newest Oculus or Vive, you are literally the only person that can do this if you do it. Or you buy one of these high end coin. Uh, well, it's not a, a minor card, but by the way, we've released some benchmarks and show it's really, really good at uh, mining Bitcoin. Yeah. And so they tried to combine those together into the RTX series, and professionally, they made sense. Uh, the, the professional cards that I saw at the thing that they did here in Vancouver, yes, that freaking makes sense, because now you're, you're doing movie stuff, and it's like the director's like, all right, can you, you change the lighting on this thing a little bit? What does that look like? Well, here you go. Done. Real time. For a gamer, you've got to be that initial, I need to be on the cutting edge. I need to have something no one else on the block does and be able to show it to them. And to have the HDR monitor, uh, not 4K because, well, that gets embarrassing when you're trying to do that. But look at this. It's ray traced. It's HDR. It's, you know, dynamic super sampled. Maybe... I'm the only guy that can do it, and I paid twelve hundred bucks for it. Just like we paid ten a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks for the Titans before. They they sort of just yeah. dropped the Titans and went straight to ten or twenty eighty Ti for that sort of thing.
0: It's no, they'll, they'll on, still sell, they sell, sell
1: you. A Titan. Titan. Oh, they'll still sell
3: you a Titan
0: All right. for twenty four hundred dollars.
3: <laughs> yep, I, Jeremy, you make a great point because this would be a phenomenal. Step forward for a workstation card, and they could have come out with this oh, as yeah. an exclusive feature to their quadro cards first, and now they, of course they do have RTX I know we've been looking at like the, the the recent announcement of like RTX Studio and how they have these RTX like cards for mobile workstations, and it really does enable things that you really wouldn't not have ever been able to do on a mobile workstation before and that's great and strangely for, enough a, for gamer, a reasonable price yeah
1: as the exact gamer, opposite to a gamer where it's
3: insane. Yeah. Do I want to pay $200 more for the, like the enthusiast level card? Like the, the 1080 was the one you bought if you had the higher resolution monitor and wanted to play. Do I want to? Yes. Can I? Yeah. Can I? No. Yeah. And the reason I brought all of this up is because it's like NVIDIA set this higher price and said, it's because of RTX buy into RTX. Look at these RTX demos. So you're you're paying for a graphics card and you're also paying for a real-time ray tracing accelerator and it's in the same card and it's discrete cores for RT, and so it's like a $500 card plus a $200 card all in one, and then AMD comes out with Radeon Seven. They don't have real-time ray tracing. They're at best case scenario at parity with the RTX 2080 for performance. So they're charging $699 for this. And yes, I know HBM2 is expensive, and to get the added memory throughput to really Unlock the potential of Vega sixty four. They needed to add those two chips. They more than doubled memory bandwidth, and that significantly increased their cost. But still, coming out with a card just for gaming at six ninety nine doesn't make any sense. If you don't have real time ray tracing, it. I would have loved to see it come out at five hundred. It would have been a fantastic card, beating a twenty eighty and oh, a yeah. lot of benchmarks, way less expensive. And you don't need the ray tracing. AMD's position right now is that we don't need ray tracing. Ray tracing is for later. You know, like they're talking about on their roadmap, ray tracing being handled in the cloud by cloud computing because you don't need that hardware on your machine. And plus there's, there's DXR stuff coming in just in-game engines. You don't need dedicated RT cores. And all that's fine. NVIDIA would still like you to buy an RTX card and do real-time ray tracing now. But we were, unless I'm completely backwards on this, NVIDIA is charging a premium for the 2080 and the 2070 and the 2060 because of the RT course, because of this real time ray tracing capability. AMD doesn't have. Well, what else would they be charging? Why are they matching the prices of the NVIDIA cards, which were already overpriced as far as the gaming community is concerned? And yes, because the Can? 5700 XT is $50 less. $50 less than a 2070 when the 2070 NVIDIA can come out and say, but look, we have real-time race tracing capabilities. Where's theirs? We have this and this and this. Where's theirs? So.
0: PCI 4.0. Yeah. Okay. Nvidia doesn't have that.
1: Well, I mean, mean, like we're using PCI 2.0 to its fullest on a GPU.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And let's just, uh, for our audio listeners, let's just uh, clarify on the pricing again to reiterate it. The, 5700 XT is going to be at 449, the uh, 5700 at 379, and that special edition 5700 XT at 499, direct from uh, AMD. So that's the state of things. Uh,
3: you, did you guys have any kind of predictions on pricing? I know there've been some rumors. I I had heard like 399 and 299, and that's what I was fully expecting to see on the charts. But who'd you hear that from? Just just speculation <laughs> and they were just us like media Honestly, talking we were perfect. trying to get them to to tell us because they wouldn't tell us we had to wait for the e3 show and we were like uh, three like you we were badgering people they were you know it was good natured but like finally we got like a well what price have you heard 3.99 wow that's a pretty good price and at that point i'm starting to get a little nervous yeah, like be. you're kind of laughing off 3.99 is it really more than 3.99 yeah, and we'd heard all along Navi was going to be mid-range. Well, mid-range from AMD to this point has been Polaris at like 200 bucks. So yeah, I mean, and we we pretty much know. And
1: then I say this not knowing a damn thing. I, we know this it will be mid-range. AMD for the last generations, their initial launches are generally mid-range and mobile. Then you follow up with a high end. Yeah, I. I hate to think that, you know, NVIDIA has sort of set a new price point that AMD is going to follow. On the other hand, I can sort of understand why they're doing it. And there might be political reasons that they want a bit of fudge factor in the pricing just Uh, in case.
3: And that's my problem. It's that NVIDIA has changed the market. It's like when RTX came out and it was so much more expensive than what you know, last generations GTX had been at every price point or at every performance level, then it was either going to be a much, much bigger product portfolio from NVIDIA with really, really high end down to what we had seen before. And then all the way down, and they did fill out the product. Portfolio. I mean, we've seen, obviously, there's been a bunch of our uh, NVIDIA reviews already this year because we had the 1600 series come out after the RTX 2060, which was, you know, it's still a $349 video card that's targeting... Enthusiasts at a 1440p level. It's like your ultimate 1080 card, or like a enthusiast level 1440 card, Mm. and that's where the 5700 XT is. It's at at 1440p gaming level. I don't think you're gaming at 4K on a card that's probably pretty close to the performance of a Vega 64, maybe a little bit better. It's significantly better than the performance of a Vega 56, according to their internal charts, and you know a, a good mix of games i'm not saying this is all like battlefield 5 call of duty black ops 4 far cry is friendly to amd but you've also got shadow of the tomb raider which is you know definitely favors nvidia cards and they they lost that one by a little bit but this is a good mix of games and they're showing what looks to be pretty realistic expectations for what the performance level will be and a 5, yeah, 5700 is a little bit higher yeah and, and if these charts are right, I mean, there are, there are certain games like Battlefield 5 has the biggest gain over a 2070 where they're winning over a 2070. And they're winning over a 2070 at $50 less. So if you look at it that and way. And I believe that because it's traditionally been better for AMD and Battle on, ba-
1: Battle on yeah. <laughs> Battlefield Battle 5. Battle on 5, yeah. Yes. Uh,
3: but my point is the 2070 was already too much from just a pure game enthusiast gamer standpoint if they didn't if they didn't want rtx features and just wanted a gaming card it was a big premium the the 970 and then the 1070 were great cards obviously the 1060 is like the number one card of all time and has been on top of the steam chart for seemingly forever but the the 1070 gave you a huge boost in performance and was significantly cheaper i want to say it was 379 at launch it was more than a hundred dollars less than the 1080 and now we're talking $500 for like that level of performance this year where AMD coming out at 450 is a a relative bargain, or at least, you know, it's a, it's a nice chunk, $50 off. You know, it, it actually wins some of these benchmarks a little bit higher performance than the 2070, but I, I would have liked to see AMD come out and say, you don't need RTX. Our competition tries to charge you all this extra money for RTX that you're not using by our card. We don't have real-time ray tracing. And that's why our card is a hundred dollars less because we don't think you should have to pay for something that you're not using. Their tone has been that, but then the price comes out and it's like, this is a price that is going to appeal to the shareholders because the margins are higher.
0: Well, something's cracking up, Jeremy.
1: And uh, neighbors come to visit to say hi and. I can't really tell him why I'm on live on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> why not invite him on? Well, because he's going to assume some interesting things about what I'm doing live on the internet.
0: He probably why assumed did, that already. there. <laughs> um, well, I mean, sh- I, I, I get the pricing as well. And assume, I, give me a second here. I, please go ahead. Take your time. What do you mean to you? <laughs> um, So I I thought on the pricing that it was higher than what I thought, but also the performance is closer than what I had anticipated. So it's it's an interesting trade-off. And of course, we also don't know, this is a new architecture for them. We don't know what the the mess of RDNA is going to be like. Maybe they're not going to be able to ship these in volume. Maybe they're not planning for this to be a huge thing. This is just their first step. To build oh, up to those higher performance Navi cards,
3: that would be just depressing.
0: Well, that sure, but, but it's
3: it a good point.
0: But so it, we'll it'd see. be the
3: messenger RNA before the real DNA arrived on your. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and of course, also they—I'm sure they had sources indicating NVIDIA was going to do something along this. These rumors of the super uh, updates. Yep. So maybe they're also letting NVIDIA come out and see what they're going to do on pricing, and maybe they can adjust at that point. We don't know what their margins are on this, um, what kind of flexibility they have. So,
3: you know, we'll see. I'm not not saying it's unfair. Based on the charts, based on what they're saying, if all of that is accurate, if it all flushes, if every review comes out and it's like, yeah, AMD was really uh, transparent and honest with all their testing, and this was exactly the kind of performance we're seeing, then... Status quo, it's fine. The only problem I have is that they're they're basically enabling NVIDIA to continue charging what they're charging. And, of course, it could be completely reversed if NVIDIA comes out the week after these cards come out or the week before and says, hey, by the way, all of our cards are $100 less now. What are you going to do now, AMD? And then we also have RTX, and they don't. That That could be really interesting. Anything that drives down the cost and makes this stuff better for... The gaming public at large is good because right now all I've been hearing about definitely been, since I took over uh, six months ago has been RGX is too expensive. Even when the 2060 came out, hey, this is only 349 still too expensive. That's not a mid-range card. It's $349. Where's the mid-range card? So
0: Yeah. I've, I've heard from a number of people both in the retail chain as well as the uh, manufacturing space that a combination of the... The mining collapse, plus RTX's pricing, has led to, I don't necessarily want to say abysmal sales, but far less than expected. It's, it's a good and, word. Because, yeah, um, I mean, I, 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 know I know that they're disappointed. I, I haven't seen anyone even trying to PR fluff it up, to say that things are going great for RTX right now.
1: Um, no, but, supply, demand, and... Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of supply of money to fulfill our demands.
0: Yeah. But if we're we're...
1: swinging on from this, I, I would like to, you know, rub Lisa Sue's nose in the fact that the rest of E3 was devoted more or less to RTX. Uh, yes. So you got Cyberpunk 27. You've got Watch Dogs. You've got these games that are coming out that it's like you, you haven't bought RTX yet because you haven't seen DXR in action. And I, I mean, looks amazing, by the way. It does. Oh, yeah. Except for the gameplay. The right. gameplay looked incredibly uninspired. It was the one five minute chunk I had this week to actually watch. And it was, yeah, okay, I mean, hey, hey it's it's going to be fun. I will buy it. I'm going to pre-order it. I'm not going to play it on an RTX card, but I will play it. I'm looking forward to it. I like what CD Projekt Red does. But all they were doing was showing off what RTX is going to bring to this game. And the neon lights reflecting off of the grungy, wet concrete And the explosions and how they look. And honestly, it does add a bit of atmosphere from what I saw. But as we've just been talking about ad nauseum, it's a huge chunk of change to be able to experience this versus what, you know, currently is relatively well replicated.
0: So obviously, yes, there were several major RTX related announcements uh, for for games coming out, and they're only major because there have been no games. There's been such a dearth of RTX software, or you know, games and demos and utilities that can truly take advantage of it that it is a big deal when something comes out. So you know, they're 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 pushing it out there, and it's good to have that option. Uh, but I, but also, I think you know. AMD, the, the other side of E3 being more console-focused, AMD's in both of the next-gen consoles from Sony oh, and yeah. Microsoft. So they were they were there to begin with. They're, and And continuing that presence means that these cross-platform games are going to be optimized for AMD hardware, and the more that they can bring what they're putting in the console closer to what they're putting in the desktop together means you're going to have just out-of-the-box better performance on the PC in many cases. So, you know, I thought this was a I mean, obviously RTX is is flashy. It's easy to show. It's easy to put on a, a nice video. Unlike VR, where it's it's hard to give someone a remote uh, interpretation of that. But <laughs> RTX, you can show them a video and show the ray tracing in action and say, okay, look at that. So they were playing that up. But man, I thought I thought AMD owned this week uh, in all the areas that 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 they could have. Uh, I mean, if Nvidia had come out and announced these super cards now at the same sh- at the show, that would have been different. But even with their somewhat lackluster RTX, or I'm sorry, RX launch, um, they were everywhere. I mean, AMD was, was everywhere. It was great.
3: The biggest takeaway from the whole RTX, if we're still talking about that, and Cyberpunk, it's Ray Traced Keanu Reeves. And if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what will. Jeremy? I mean, not in that way, but it was interesting to see him.
0: That was, a, that was an awesome reveal.
3: It was I watched yeah. that trailer, I'm like this yeah, this is pretty badass i admit.
1: The, the most ironic thing about it is is it actually probably made more gamers squee than the whole idea of Siri being in that game, which is well, a rumor that's been going on since Witcher 3 first came out
0: i, I thought they uh, the developer had squashed that though uh,
1: yeah, but that doesn't matter anymore now yeah, okay, this is the
0: internet. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Uh, there, there's a, if you haven't seen yeah, but it, to a great, in... uh... oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going oh, to move on. So, this damn <laughs> lag. We got to do something about. It. There's a, there's a latency in our calls. It's like a half a second, but it's just enough to screw everything up. But uh, is it is um, it worse the than Skype? has been. I think it's worse than Skype. But yeah. doing Skype would involve more setup, which I'm going to have to do anyway. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll look into fixing it. Apologize, folks. Uh,
1: Your government uh, tariff on ip package is is yeah messing with
0: me exactly um but uh, i was gonna say if if you haven't seen it there's a great custom like a fan trailer out there that mashes up i think this came out actually last year mashes up series conversation in the witcher 3 about the dimension she went to with the flying cars and they put it to the first trailer for cyberpunk and it's really well cut together it's uh look look up siri cyberpunk trailer i'm sure you'll find it it's it's Pretty cool.
1: Oh, I bet you I've posted it on the site.
0: Oh, you may have, you may have, yeah. But yeah, so uh, uh, leading into now, which so we're out of order here. Which story do you want to tackle next, Scarlet?
1: Well, I mean, we were, we were talking oh. about how AMD ruled it, so why not talk about uh, Project Scarlet, the, the, the AMD powered brand new Xbox that's coming out.
0: Yep and and we knew we knew going into this that AMD was going to be in both next gen uh consoles. I mean that was established. Oh, yeah. And we also knew somewhat the performance level that Microsoft is targeting. And we still don't have all the details, but they you know they put together their presentation at E3 and they're talking about uh you know 4K 120 frames per second performance uh up to 8K resolution uh likely that'll be at 30 and again, this is this will be highly optimized, super sampled, or whatever. What's the uh, what's the word uh, for when they cut up? It's not truly 4K, but it's uh, nuts. They do it now on the consoles.
1: Upscaled.
0: It's, it's well, there's like something where they're doing like subpixel rendering, but I don't know. I'm, oh. I apologize, but there's a trick where they're doing where it's not actually 4K, but it's 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 intelligently upscaled in certain areas to 4K. So I'm sure that'll be part of all this. Um, but it will be a totally custom AMD SOC, uh, GDDR6 uh, uh, for the graphics memory, um, solid-state storage, at least an option for it. I'm, they, I'm not sure. I don't think they were clear about whether that was standard, but they were talking about this custom PCIe storage option uh, for instantaneous loading. Well, they
1: didn't really talk about the lower-level model. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, like there, there will be, and there has been for a while, two levels of Xbox. So guaranteed on the upper echelon Xbox you are going to get solid state storage of some description m.2 sata we don't know i uh, i'd bet my money on sata but we don't know about the lower the lower cost one at all
0: yeah so we you know no no specific details other than these aspirational targets for performance that they they've touted but i mean i will say after the initial xbox one launch in twenty thirteen, which was pretty bad they've really done well in their engineering um you know they've the the one s was a well designed quiet console the one x is the current fastest console, so interesting to see them uh you know pushing this to the next level and uh it'll be out next holiday so twenty twenty holiday i believe they said
1: mm-hmm. so we got
0: some we got some time to get this all uh All the the details there.
1: But if you don't have patience, the new Atari one, also powered off of AMD,
0: won't be too far away. That's right. Um, March
1: 2020. (laughs) You can already pre-order it again and again. Because this Kickstarter happened quite a while ago and got fully funded. Then it got bought out. And then AMD sort of said, we're going to produce new hardware and it will be in the Atari VCS reboot. And then I want to say about six or seven months ago, suddenly said, yeah, uh, the AMD embedded or 1606 G is now going to be in the fancy new Atari VCS. There, there's a couple of different versions of them, which is interesting. So there's going to be a top, couple of different uh, AMD SKUs going into these. And again, announced at uh, E3 after the RTX cleared out of the air and the beams stopped bouncing around. So it's, as you said, back when we started this, Jim, it's for the console side, a huge win for AMD.
0: So, all right. Uh, we, I do want to touch on another uh, s- somewhat major story or, you know, important story, I guess. And that's uh, Intel was at E3 somewhat officially, I guess they 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 contacted journalists. They I think they had a few small sessions. I mean they were there in some other capacities, but in terms of like how they deal with us, uh, they were there to talk again about heading off AMD's claims with new Ryzen. Now keep in mind this is just or the people making having these conversations are focused on their gaming primarily. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're exclusively on gaming, but that's sort of their mindset. Is you know we. Intel have claimed gaming for many years, and some, sometimes controversially. And uh, we believe that even after all these Ryzen parts launch, we'll still have gaming leadership. And this is very similar to their pre-Computex story, in that they brought out the chart again of real-world usage. You know, here are the apps that people are are using. You know, nobody nobody ever runs Cinema 4D, which is a Cinebench. So why are we testing that? We should be testing like actual apps like Excel and WinRAR and Steam games and Photoshop, Lightroom. And they talk about looking at what's on the Ryzen uh, mobile now, which again is not this new stuff that Ryzen mobile came out at CES uh, earlier this year, but looking at Ryzen mobile versus Ice Lake, they've got pretty much performance parity, if not a bit of an advantage in graphics. But again, This is their own internal testing. We'll have to verify. And then they also mentioned uh, looking at the desktop, they compared the 9900K to the Ryzen 7 2700X. And I immediately, I'm sure everyone who they talked to immediately said, well, hang on a second. Okay. You know, why are you comparing it to the 2700X? The next gen's coming out in a few weeks. And they said, well, we know that. We can't test that, obviously. But their belief is, if you look at this chart and you look at the performance advantage that the 9900K has over the 2700X, they know the 30, uh, the 3000 series will make improvements. But they're confident they won't make up enough improvement to catch Intel. Now, how close they get is another question. Like maybe they get up to within a few percentage points, in which case I'm sure Intel would still claim victory, but the rest of us would say, "Well, what big deal?" But you know, th- this is the current state of things. For Ryzen two thousand versus ninety nine hundred K, and the other point, which I know Sebastian also uh, took issue with, is that this is absolutely not a value proposition or a price to performance comparison. The ninety nine hundred K is a five hundred dollar processor. The Ryzen 7 2700 X is two seventy nine, right, or something like that, two eighty nine. Yeah. It's 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 a yeah, it's a huge a huge difference in price. So. I, I get what Intel's saying. I just, we'll, we'll see how it pans out for them. Now, they do talk about a few things, like obviously memory latency is an issue for Ryzen m- more so than Intel or an issue for AMD. And yeah, but they not talk- as much as it used to be. Well, right, exactly. So they're saying, again, they know that things are going to improve in terms of memory performance, but they don't think that it's going to catch Intel. They think that whatever gains AMD can make this generation won't completely... F- Uh, close the gap. And uh, the reason for their memory performance being important is that real world workloads have much lower cache hit rates. Uh, Now having more cache in the Ryzen processor will also help in certain situations, but having that lower cache hit rate makes the memory performance of the platform so much more important. So uh, looking at like a chart like this uh, in real world gaming, the system that has better memory performance, better or lower latency is going to have an inherent advantage in overall experience and then finally, well, the
3: in theory anyway, but well, in, somebody tested memory a few times, it's very difficult to see any performance gains at all with memory, even when you're lowering latency numbers or increasing speeds, mm-hmm. unless you're on integrated graphics.
0: Sure. That, that's, that is, that is a factor. I mean, there, there are things you can measure that will show the difference, but again, real world, which is right. what Intel likes to talk about, not sure how that will, will pan out for all experiences. One thing I think they're right upon though is that PCI Express 4.0 is not a factor for gaming. Now Intel had or I'm sorry AMD had a demo where they showed the bandwidth um, and, and and they could they could craft a benchmark that could show PCIe 4.0 for gaming graphics. That's not what it is. They're they're we're not as Jeremy said uh, earlier in the podcast, you know, we're barely saturating PCI 2.0 let alone 3 and then 4. So from a gaming perspective, Intel is showing this chart here that shows that looking at PCI Gen three, as you step up the the, uh, the sp- speeds, there's very very little difference in real world frames per second. And this this testing they're showing here was done by Tech power up, so it's not internal to uh, Intel. But but this is, I mean, we know this. This is this is clear. PCIe 4.0 is going to be a factor for uh, storage. You know, maybe loading times. I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be a factor. Um, for, for it's not going to be a factor for gaming is the short of it. And I don't know anybody who really thought that was going to be the case, but fair enough. That's their point. So Intel is, um, you know, they're in trouble in certain areas and we will see how this all plans out. I mean, AMD has to ship all this stuff in volume. They have to hit the numbers they're saying, uh, there can't be any, any new bugs, but at the same time, Intel has to continue shipping in volume. They've got to continue developing. They have to pray that no other expected execution vulnerabilities pop up that require performance uh, degradation for patches. So it's going to be very interesting. Intel is, is I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. They're doing whatever they can do to try to like stop the onslaught, at least on the in terms of desktop processors. And uh, it'll be interesting to see this year once we can really test this stuff and, uh, and see how it all, how it all shakes out. Oh, uh, we've been going for
3: PCI 4. PCI 4 it has a lot of interesting uh, implications. Obviously, storage is the big one that we've seen so far. It also means fewer lanes will be necessary. So, we'll probably see maybe this will be less important on the desktop side. But when you can do buy two and get basically Gen 3 speeds, then it frees up lanes. You don't have the same problem where you have to go to those really high end enthusiast platform scales, extra PCIe lanes. You don't need more than two lanes to get like 3,000 to 3,500 megabytes per second from your storage, and which is more than enough. And, you know, you could have a smaller board that only has like 16 lanes and still be okay. Eight yeah. lanes for graphics, split the rest up among your storage and you're fine.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, we, we've, uh, we've been going for a while. Let's, uh, let's get through the rest of these news items so we don't keep everyone too late. But let's uh, so moving beyond uh, the big, heavy hitters at E3, we've got some uh, some other you know somewhat exciting news. We've got LG unveiling Nano IPS G Sync displays. So it's one millisecond response time. They look like that. They come in both uh, sixteen by nine and ultra wide form factors. Uh, You know what? What got you excited about this, Jeremy?
1: I well, I mean, it's they're pretty. Uh, they're very big, they have very small basils. Uh, they they come right out the right out of the box with an SRGB gamut of 135%, which is impressive for a gaming monitor. That's not usually something you see. the larger 38 GL nine fifty G is it, it contains a G Sync chip, whereas the twenty seven GL eight fifty is G Sync compatible. So there's going to be a bit of a price difference between the two, but really the big thing is that this new nano IPS that is offering, as you said, a one millisecond greater gray. It's going to be interesting to see what exactly nano GPS means. It's got a lot of buzzwords in it, but we'll, we'll we'll take a look uh, hopefully in the not too distant future about how these go, but for, for gaming monitors, they'll be lovely. Uh, the 27GL850 is going to be hitting 144 hertz refresh rate and one millisecond response time, as we said. The larger one with the G-Sync chip on it will actually be overclockable to up to 175 hertz if you want to play with it. And of course, it's got the sphere lighting 2.0 on the back, so it will spread... colors of your monitor behind it as well as in front of it we don't know any pricing whatsoever yeah but
3: i'm a little worried about that
1: yeah i mean we're looking at 1440p and an ultra wide 1440 curved g-sync they're not going to be cheap
3: it's it's cool to see because they've yeah yeah like it's TN specs, but it's IPS viewing angles in theory, I guess, is what nano IPS's promises, right? Because one millisecond is what you get from the really high-end TN gaming monitors, and you had to sacrifice, go down to like, I think it was four milliseconds for the faster IPS monitors, gray to gray. Yeah, four or five.
1: But there is one spec that I noticed was lacking from uh, the PR. Yeah. Well, do you see a viewing angle on there anywhere?
3: No, I don't. I'll have to do some research into nano IPS and see if it is supposed to have the same 178 degrees as IPS.
1: Yeah, I came up with a bunch of different results on it, and I'm not quite sure which one this is going to be. Uh, the other benefit, if you, you are going to fork out the extra money for the 37.5 inch, which, I mean, is still an amazing size for a display. Uh, you will get uh, VESA Display HDR 400. You go for the slightly less expensive 27-inch;
3: it's HDR10. Interesting. So that suggests it's only hitting 400 nits. I see. It says 450 nits typical. Typical. So not the brightest. It's not like that Asus monitor we saw with the like thousand backlight zones and HDR 1000 plus brightness. But and of course, it's it's not an Apple. It's not a an Apple Pro display by any means, but it's also probably, I would hope, less expensive. Is it compatible with a stand?
0: It comes with a stand.
3: Well, Imagine I mean, that. Apple's oh. display, Jeremy, is VESA
0: compatible. So, you know, no, well, you can if supply
3: you, your own or buy their $200 mount
0: adapter. Well, it's VESA compatible with the $200 adapter. <laughs> if you buy just right, the display, well, it is useless. Look, you have look, to prop Jim, it up against the You know, $1,000.
3: If you're spending five thousand dollars on a monitor, Jim, don't don't cheap out on the two hundred dollar aluminum.
0: You don't understand. You know. I gave them all my money for the monitor. I don't have two hundred dollars for this the adapter. That's the problem. You're a little. I'm an people, Apple. Jim. I'm an you Apple consumer. I make poor financial choices to buy stuff I don't need. This is these monitors. These are nano IPS. I believe Jeremy was saying nano GPS. a while there oh sorry which would be global positioning for gtx
3: nano gtx (laughs) the amd radeon nano gtx
0: all right well let's uh continue on with the news we've got another story here Uh, lenovo has announced the thinkpad p series lineup which is bringing uh oled displays quadro rtx uh graphics options and uh, even uh, ubuntu uh, as your operating system out of the box so tell us tell us about this sebastian
3: well, first of all, if you're watching the video or if you look at the, the site, Lenovo has upped their game on product photos. I have to say that group shot is stunning and they're showing off the displays because this lineup includes OLED, not on every model, but you have a couple models the we, we saw at the beginning of the year around CES time. We had news of this 15.6 inch OLED panel that was being produced in like full scale volume. It's going to start showing up in laptops this year. We're starting to see the effects of that. These are really nice looking professional workstations. This is not a brand new series for Lenovo. You know, we already had like a P72 and now there's a P73. It's a refresh and you've got the newest Intel RT or Intel. It's got the newest Intel processors for mobile, but the new RTX graphics cards that were part of that RTX studio announcement, I think back at in May. And so, you know, it's it's like the best of the best for mobile workstations. They're claiming they have the fastest 15.6 inch mobile workstation now. Jeremy talked earlier about some of the benefits of having real-time ray tracing in a workstation environment. So, hey, if you're willing to pay for it, you can get up to an RTX 5000, although the base configuration is not shipping with that. It's like a Quadro T1000. And these are not inexpensive either. The The least expensive of these new workstations is $1,500, but these are workstations. so. It's likely being either purchased through a business or as part of a business purchase, where it's more of an asset at that point. And you know, the specs on these are great, there's no 10, 10th generation at all anywhere in here, which I was a little surprised by. The only thing I've actually seen myself that's 10th gen is the new Dell XPS 13 2 in 1. But you know, you're getting ninth gen Intel stuff up to eight cores, Xeon processors are available, lots and lots of memory capacity, and lots of storage capacity. They're offering RAID. Up to six terabytes in the the bigger, like the higher end workstations, and up to four in the mid-range and then up to two, just a single M.2 slot in the smaller ones. And they have all the way down to like a 14-inch model, all the way up to a big, big 17-inch model. You're you know, you can go after the OLED displays, you can get one with an IPS display. So if you're a professional or if you're looking for one of those complete desktop replacement workstations and don't want a MacBook Pro then this is a great option. Plus, you know, this actually has an intelligent form factor that can expel heat. So I'm sure it's running at a much, much faster clock rate than a MacBook Pro ever could, even if it's using... And and lovely peripheral options on it, too. Uh, Yeah, like the 17-inch? There are a lot of plugs inside. Yeah, three full-size USB ports, uh, and then two Thunderbolt 3s, and an extra USB-C, which is probably 3.1 Gen 1, uh, and then a full-size USB, an XDS... SDXC reader, a full-size gigabit LAN, and a three and a half millimeter headphone port a headphone mic combo jack. I mean, that's that's really legitimate I/O. You're into actual professional I/O. Yeah, and of course I'm. I haven't used one of these yet, but I'm sure it has a great keyboard. And they've they've been getting consistently better with their trackpads since about the middle of like the 2010s. So. These are probably fantastic to actually use, too.
1: Well, they got the nubbin, so that's all I really do care about with
3: those. Uh, and, well, yeah, that... that it, And I don't know... There's something about it. I've used a ThinkPad before, and sometimes to do really high-precision work, that was more accurate than using a trackpad, so I, I oh, like that Oh, it is. It's feature. always... Especially if you like tweak, like you can lower the sensitivity in Windows and like really just like move almost a pixel at a time if you need to with that thing. I know. And then the iPad X58 that I loved. They're they're solid machines, and I know in recent years there's been flack about Lenovo, and there was stuff about like the security. I think every laptop maker now has had to face that with their own software and vulnerabilities and keeping things patched and being more transparent about security vulnerabilities with their software updaters and stuff so forget that i'm just looking at the hardware and if if especially if you're kind of anti-windows 10 and paranoid about security anyway all of these give you a choice of windows versions up to windows 10 pro or ubuntu linux which i would hope lowers the cost i don't know that but regardless this is something that Lenovo has worked with Canonical in the past, and there is a current and always updating list of of canonical like certified laptops and Lenovo's on there with a ton of models so you know you're getting something that is not going to give you any kind of conflicts or have stuff that is not really compatible with Ubuntu at least so Debian Linux and you know for a lot of people, depending on what you're you're actually doing with a workstation you could use linux and be in a very secure place and actually be able to do things like control uh, your updates yeah which i'm sure Jim or just not out. be able to hurt anything
0: true yes we had a we had a technical issue caused by windows 1903 right before the show so that was fun <laughs> um and and speaking sebastian of your your, your comment about not seeing 10th gen. Uh, in most places, I do wonder, too, does that speak to the speculation of analysts like uh, Charlie over at SemiAccurate who are saying that supply is just horrendous with 10 nanometer ice lake? So maybe yeah. that's the reason yeah. why we haven't seen more.
1: They've missed one refresh for everyone. For some, they've missed two.
0: Yes. Where
1: yeah. there's literally not enough processors and then it's like, well, we have to find somewhere else to go.
0: Alright, uh let's uh jump to the next story. We've got a uh story here about some Radeon Seven water blocks from Fantex. So if you've got one of those Radeon sevens we were talking about, those power hungry beasts, you can cool it down, maybe get a little overclocking headroom. And uh it's a pretty nice looking water block.
1: And honestly you can make it pretty. You can make it I'm pretty Sebastian gets one of these. Oh. oh you I'm gonna ask very pretty. I'm gonna ask for one for sure.
3: I mean, look at that. Because honestly, it's, they are gorgeous. Yeah. It's but, full uh, block illumination. We saw one of these for, what was the previous one? It was for like an RTX 2070. It was the Asus Strix version that works on the 2016, 2070. But full block illumination, depending on what color of liquid you're using and how you arrange the lighting. It's just really attractive. And then, of course, hey, it's a full block. So it's going to cool the VRMs to cool the core. And you could do some pretty outstanding things. And of course, you know, then you completely eliminate fan noise from your GPU. There's there, that To me, GPU is the only reason to really go custom loop anymore. Because you can buy a $70 air cooler that even allows you overclocking headroom and is almost completely silent. And like the last Be Quiet cooler I tested, which we may or may not be talking about later, that is almost, you know, it, it's to the point where... With certain coolers from like Scythe and Be Quiet, I you can't tell it's on until you put your ear really close to the fan hub to, to really be able to hear it over any kind of ambient noise at all. So for for GPUs though, they're they're powerful, they're they're hot, and like the Radeon seven, those three axial fans, it's like fifty decibels under load. So you're not hiding that even in a quiet enclosure.
0: 150 MSRP shipping yes. Shipping soon, they said. But no, no specific date?
3: I did not see one in the press release, I don't think. Uh,
0: they, they were, were
1: talking MSRP. around about mid-June, July. Something, okay. a date with a 7 in it, I think it was.
0: Uh, I think was oh, for some reason they're trying to time seven. it for that about you're that just, same you're time. You're just
3: confused. It's, it's coming out on 7.7 seven for the Radeon 7. 7.7 seven
0: for the Radeon 7 uh continuing on with uh with coolers we've got some uh releases from fractal design they've updated their blackout series of uh aio cooling and uh, who wrote this up jeremy you did uh tell us tell us what they yeah. got for us here
1: uh they've got coolers with no rgbs whatsoever not a single wow. one not an r not a g not a b anywhere to be found and they're nice and you know dark uh, they've did these for a previous generation, so this is the new generation coming up. It's gonna fit any modern processor up to and including Threadripper because they ship a bracket in it to allow you to actually slap it on and effectively cool a threadripper. They've got two models, uh, essentially more or less for what the size of your case can fit in. The S3, the S36 is a triple fan, 120 millimeter fan. Where the whereas the uh, twenty six is dual, the the price difference is literally ten dollars. So you're going from one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty. We haven't seen performance, but honestly, I, I think if you've got the bigger case, definitely go for the X thirty six. I it's only ten dollars more. If you don't have the space, well, if you only fit dual one hundred and twenty millimeter fans, go for the S twenty six. Either way, the fractal design does some really nice designs. Everything's going to be hidden away. They're trying to make this not just visually quiet, but audibly quiet. So the fan controller you can see there is sort of hidden in the back. the The, the wires will go up along with your yeah the hoses up to your uh, radiator, and you can either choose between the built in software that they provide to you with it, or you can go just turn it off and do PWM cooling or PWM controlling directly yourself or through your motherboard or whatever that it, it's nice just to see a cooler that's there to cool something and not to flash and scream and yell at you.
0: It's a, it's a rare, a rare thing. And it's getting worse based on what I saw at Computex. What's what's coming soon. You're going to need sunglasses oh, to sit at your desk. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Um, so that, that's the, uh, the news stories. Now, if you've stuck with us since the beginning, you know, we did things a little out of order, so we've still got some reviews to get to if everyone's willing, Jeremy, I believe you have to hit the road though, right?
1: I, I am literally so tired. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point.
0: That's, 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 why, all this, right.
1: that's why it's so good. It's a stream of consciousness. at this. I point mean, I me. will continue to stay vertical and babble with you if you like, but
0: no man, you you, <laughs> you, can, you are you going to take, bat. take off, take off. It is only Thursday. Thank yeah, you. Finally, one more day, one more day, uh,
1: and maybe one day I'll make it to see my pick in action.
0: Oh, right. you want to talk about that Very real quick? Really well. Yeah, a parting pick. Yeah, here, let's pull up your the uh, new right. thing.
3: Parting picks.
0: Pick. So, yeah, battle bots
1: is nice, but it's always sort of nasty to see the bots torn apart by the end of the battle because that's the whole idea is that they just die. So, this robotics club has been around for about four or five years. And what they do is they build up a little model city, and you design a mech of whatever you would like. And it's got a couple of airsoft guns, BB guns on it. And it also has four damage zones. And so you march around the city fighting the other mechs. And you shoot at them, and if you happen to hit one of the damage zones, it's part of the mech is disabled, and if you hit two, I believe it is, you've won the match, so nothing actually dies. your mech isn't destroyed, but you've had a hell of a lot of fun, and you've you've sort of uh, emulated battle tech and look at it it is just a ridiculous amount of fun. This is awesome. <laughs> Like, seriously, and you notice uh, uh, they've actually upgraded. He's just wearing safety goggles. They've upgraded to the same VR interface that you use for drone racing. Hmm. Nice. So now you're sitting at the side with VR goggles on wandering through a city.
0: Oh, man, that's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's open. It's. Uh, shit, I have to click on uh, my link here. Sorry. Uh, but there's teams in Canada, uh, United States, Turkey, Canada, Mexico, and Japan so far. It's an open club. They've, most of the designs are already open source. You can pick and choose and you, you find a maker fair somewhere. These guys may well be there. I seriously, how can you miss this?
0: Well, if you're interested at all, even even like for someone like me, I have no skills to build anything or participate, but just watching it is pretty cool. So we'll have the link in the show notes for you to check out and get more information. All right.
1: So if you're uh, in San Francisco, apparently, uh, it's coming yes, to the Bay Area there. Bay Area.
0: And uh looks like they've partnered with Tested.com for some stuff too. So pretty cool. Shockey. All right. All right. Well, go to bed. Go to bed, sir. Get some rest. Thank you all for watching. Oh,
1: yeah. hey Jeremy, we'll do that.
0: All right. So uh, if you're with us in the live stream, we'll continue on. I mean, how how you feeling? Do you, how many how many of these reviews do you want to hit?
3: Well, we don't have to devote a lot of time. I mean, the okay. the, the cooler would be like two minutes. I mean, it's uh, however much time you want to spend on the the gaming mice. But
0: yep. All right. Yeah. So these should be quick. So we'll we'll get our reviews that we normally do at the start of the show uh, done now. We've got a couple. Uh, the first up we'll touch on is one from uh, Lee. He did a power supply review of the Be Quiet Pure Power 11. This is a 600 watt uh, gold-rated power supply. It's semi-modular, and it's at a good price. I think it's 85 dollars is the uh, the price. And he he says it's it's targeting that th- this Pure Power series, which is available from 300 to 700 watts. Although the I think the 300 and um, I think it was 300, 400, the, the, the lower wattage ones are bronze rated, not gold rated, but the, right. the one he reviewed and the higher are gold. So it's, it's got a hundred, it's i a, uh, I'm sorry, 600 watt uh, capacity, 120 millimeter, uh, be quiet fan. Uh, he says that it, in his testing, it, it did meet and exceed the gold certification. It's got that semi modular design. So, you know, not fully modular, but modular enough for, for most people at that price range, 84, uh, 8490. 90, so 85 bucks for the uh the list price now at Newegg. And uh, you know, Lee does his full detailed testing. So if you're you know ever interested in this, you gotta read the full article. I, I don't understand half of it, but uh he goes through and tests all the, the the cables, the capacities, the noise, uh efficiencies, and he said this one tested just right where it should be. Uh it's as, as you know, it's a a premium budget kind of power supply. So it's, it's, you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you still want good quality. And of course, as a be quiet product, obviously noise is the, you know, one of the big features. And he says that, you know, the, the fan is incredibly, it's basically silent up to about 60% load. And then it starts to ramp up, but even then it never exceeded like 25 decibels or 23 decibels. It was 22.9 decibels at hundred percent load. So a good option in this price range, if, if you want the semi-modular, he gave it a silver, quiet operation, good voltage regulation. He says fully modular, but it's semi-modular. I guess that's a typo. Uh, five-year warranty and no major weaknesses. So a nice, good option, $85 for the be quiet, pure power 11, 600 watt gold rated power supply. All right, and, uh, and then next up, a review. This is a product, or these are two products that launched uh, this morning uh, from Corsair even more gaming mice. I think this is probably the sixth game. This is the fifth and sixth gaming mice they've released this year alone. Uh, some are up at you to, upping,
3: upping the game with those photos. Look at that. Nice, that nice blurry background with those graphics cards. You can tell it's like a gamer kind of review. Cause I can see GPUs back there.
0: Nicely oh, well, thank done. you. Yes. I, 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 I gave it a minimal effort and I'm glad it worked out, but, uh, uh, yeah, so there's there's two new gaming mice here. One is a completely new brand called the Night Sword RGB, and then one is a part of their M series. It's the M fifty five RGB Pro. So we'll start with the Night Sword. It's a higher end mouse. It's gonna be eighty dollars seventy-nine ninety nine list price in the US. Um so it's you know it's a higher price. These are both wired mice at at a, uh at that price point for a wired gaming my, mouse, they're aren't that many competitors. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty up there. You you know, that's into the, to the pretty decent wireless mouse territory, but it is a well-designed mouse. It's got the PixArt sensor in it, the PW, or sorry, PMW 3391. So that sensor goes from 100 DPI to 18,000 in single DPI increments. Uh, It's got 10 programmable buttons, 4 RGB lighting zones, customizable report rates. It's got that, fixed 1.8 meter, six foot braided cable. And uh, one of the big features with this mouse is that it's got a tunable weight system. So it starts with just the mouse alone at 119 grams, but you end up getting in the box, you get six additional weights. And I believe it's uh, three 2.8 gram weights and three 4.5 gram weights. And you put them in by popping off this cover on the bottom. They're arranged in a hexagon uh, around the center. And you put them in there, and what's cool is the mouse knows which weights have been inserted into which slots, and so it gives you a, um, if I can find the, where is it? Here it is. It gives you in the IQ software, it just tells you, okay, well, I, I've detected this weight here and this weight there, and then calculates your center of mass. So if you're really hardcore about how a mouse feels and moves, you can use that to, uh, to see how, how changing the weight positions will affect uh, the uh, center of mass and, and therefore how it, how it feels in your hands. So, uh, so that's good. It's, it's, a, it's an attractive mouse. It's a, uh, a right-handed only mouse. Uh, so it's got the, uh, the thumb rest on the left side there. It's got DPI switching, three onboard hardware profiles for lighting and, uh, and uh, DPI and button configuration options. It's got the sniper button there uh, by the, uh, the thumb area. It's, it's comfortable. It's not as comfortable as, I, as, say, like the Iron Claw, which is that really raised palm gripper one, at least for me. You know, your personal preference may vary, but, but it's a pretty comfortable mouse, very smooth operation, easy setup. The IQ software is, you know, really easy to use. It gives you full control over macros, lighting, um, uh, weight, the weight tuning for this particular mouse integrates with your other Corsair peripherals. So not bad there. The
3: finished on the outside? Is that like a soft touch plastic except for the buttons? Does it have like that nice kind of grippy? It yes. looks like a kind of a grippy surface.
0: So the, the back of it uh, where the palm would rest is a grippy, almost rubbery like plastic. And then also on the thumb area there, the okay. uh, buttons themselves are smooth plastic and, and they're like a matte finish. So they're, they're pretty nice. Mm. But around the edges, there's all these little areas sort of around the RGB uh, areas. And on the sides, it's a glossy plastic. And that scuffs easily. I've had it for about a week. I've been using it, and it's already pretty smudged and scuffed up. Um, so it would have been nice to to not have those glossy areas. But, you know, the rest of it's going to look pretty good. It's pretty durable. Um, and, and, again, the only thing on that one is the price. It, it's at an MSRP of 80 bucks. that's, you know, you could, you could get some pretty nice wireless gaming mice in that range if you're looking for that. And if you're also insisting on that wired experience, there are plenty of good wired mice at and below that, that price range, too. So see where street prices come out on that one. The second one is... i sure amp- multi-zone...
3: Sorry. I, I'm go sure go multi-zone RGB does add to that MSRP. Like, if you took out... If it's just a single color RGB, it would be cheaper. But to go multi-zone, if you took that out entirely, you'd probably be right down there, like, at or below 60 bucks. I bet.
0: Uh, perhaps. I mean, there are mice in that 50 to $80 range that, and even on the lower end of that, that, that have maybe not four zones, but multi-zone RGB. Okay. Um, I've
3: seen like two, I've seen like the, the ring, like the HyperX pulse stuff. And I've seen it, but that's not really multi-zone cause you're, you're configuring lighting around the perimeter and then you have like the logo and I've seen yeah, stuff before yeah. where it was like logo and somewhere else, but
0: it's basically that there's, there's, they'll count the logo. There might be one by the DPI button and then there could be on the front or back or something. So, uh, th- but there are, there are options like steel series has something there and, uh, Logitech's got some mice in that price range too.
3: Yeah, that's um, true.
0: But, uh, the, the second mouse they announced is a lower end mouse. It's a $40 mouse, the Corsair M55 RGB pro. And the big thing about this guy is that it's a, an ambidextrous design. So it's completely symmetrical. Uh, which is good and bad. So it's good because that gives you flexibility if you're using it in an environment like if you've got a roommate or a sibling or a significant other who is the opposite handedness of you, you can swap between them. But the problem is, so you've got it's a it's a limited mouse. You've got your your main two buttons. You've got a DPI switch on the top, and then you've got these identical uh, back and forward buttons on the side, and that's that's it for the buttons. I mean, I, well the the mouse wheel is also a button as well, but in terms of uh, dedicated buttons, you've just got these two on the side, and when you're using it in like left-handed mode, uh, the well, say if you're using it in right-handed mode, the buttons on the left side of the mouse will be active, and the ones on the right will be disabled by default uh, because hmm. that's right where your fingers would be. So you'd be pressing them; it, it would be uncomfortable. Uh, and then you can, if if you're in left-handed mode, it's it's the opposite. The the buttons on the right are enabled. And you can switch modes in the Corsair software uh, in the settings. There's a a button here to enable left-handed mode or disable it. Or you can do it on the fly, too, by just holding those two uh, side buttons down. Whichever ones are currently active, you'd hold both of them down for five seconds. The uh, LED uh, or RGB indicator for the DPI will blink a few times. I think it's like three times in red. And then it switches. So it's really simple to switch. So I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't consider this as a like a dedicated. If, if you're you know just a right-handed or a right or just a left-handed person, I, not, I wouldn't necessarily consider it as a like dedicated mouse. It's got a lot of appeal in those situations where you do need to switch, uh, and that's that's where I'd, I'd look at something like this. The sensors are lower end sensors, so it's two hundred to twelve thousand four hundred DPI in one hundred DPI increments. It's got those eight buttons, but again, you're really only using six of them at any given time. It's got technically two-zone RGB. It's the logo, and then the there's a little light at the top uh, between the, the DPI switcher and the scroll wheel. Um, so 40 bucks. It's, a you know, for a gaming mouse, it's got a good... You know, that, that sensor, even though it's less than the uh, Night Sword, is still a pretty good sensor. You still get the IQ software. It's just that the mouse doesn't have... As a gaming mouse, it just doesn't... It feels like it's missing too much and that's because it's, it's focusing on being accessible rather than, um, pushing performance. So I gave the night sword a, the gold award, you know, with the caveat of the price, let's see, usually these mice go below MSRP pretty quickly. So check that out. I probably wouldn't pay $80 for it, but at like 65, 70, that's a much better deal. And it is, it's a comfortable mouse performed well. And, uh, yeah, and so check that out. They're, they're shipping some... I, I know the M55 RGB was shipping this morning. The Night Sword was supposed to be hitting stores today. I, I haven't checked in a few hours, so they, there could be some inventory issues there, but but they'll be available soon uh, for uh, for those interested. Night and, Sword
3: makes me think about Final Fantasy Tactics. If anybody's ever played that game, I think it's or- Orlando who has Night Sword as one of his, like, holy sword moves. Hmm. Uh, but yeah. That's neither here nor there.
0: Yeah, I, I, oh, apparently there's, there's several meanings of Night Sword that I had no uh, idea of because I saw the feedback to both our article and other articles on this where people were saying, Night Sword, that's weird. Um, so I guess there's a book, there's some Marvel Universe related things that are Night Sword, oh, but of course. I don't know. But let's, uh, let's finish this up. We've got the review from you. This was, uh, from, uh, Last week, we didn't get to it last week because of all the uh, the news, but as you've got it there, it's the Be Quiet Dark Rock Slim CPU cooler.
3: Right, and from this angle, it looks like any other of the Dark Rock series, and I actually have another board right here, conveniently enough, that has their previously slimmest cooler. And so, like, these are the same, essentially, from the front, but this was the Dark Rock 4. And there's a Dark Rock uh, Pro 4 that's that's a dual tower that's even bigger, more along the lines of like a a Noctua like D14 or something. But this is actually pretty much the same form factor as that ubiquitous Cooler cooler Master Hyper 2.12 Evo. And if you look at it from the side, you're dealing with something that's the camera focus. It's pretty thin. And the whole point of this is if you look at it from the top, this is not occupying a lot of space, like a bigger footprint around, like, memory. It's not touching the memory. It's completely clear of the memory. It's, it's high up over VRMs. It doesn't come close to the first PCI Express slot. So the whole point of, of designs like this, such as that Cooler Master design, is it's a high compatibility design. You don't have to worry about the fan overhanging tall dims or something because you just don't have uh, any, any clearance issue there. So the big thing is just going to be performance and you're, you have a lot less uh, surface area with a smaller heat sink like this, but that's never been a problem for my, and I kept going back to the whole cooler master argument because you know, it's, it's a cooler review. It's an air cooler review. Therefore we must talk about the hyper 212 Evo. It's just been the way it's been for like five years. So I compared this against that Evo and the newer update to it, which is the RGB black edition. Well, I had the RGB version, but the black edition, which comes with or without an RGB fan. and has a much improved mounting mechanism and uh, a nice uh, base plate instead of it just being four direct contact pipes. So what Be Quiet basically has done is they've, they've put the premium dark rock experience in that form factor. So you've got... Very, very solid uh, mounting mechanism. You've got very high quality. The black finish, it's all black, is interesting because it's it's a, a special paint that has ceramic in it. So it's supposed to help with heat transfer as well. The fins have a unique shape and they have these little dimples on the surface of the fins. You can see in that photo uh, of like the side view of the heat sink. There's very small little dimples On each of these uh, painted aluminum fins. And then a very, very precisely milled, like CNC milled uh, uh, bottom surface. Like you get a really good mate to the CPU with this. It's hard to really capture that in photos, but it's very, very flat. So all of this adds up to improving even on the improved version of the 212 Evo, that black edition, where because of the improved contact surface, because of the better uh, mounting hardware, they had a pretty big jump in temperatures and a significant reduction in noise from a quieter fan. And this is, again, another full degree. Like that Evo to the Black Edition was about a degree and a half cooler consistently. This took that down another degree under load using the very hot, 4 i7 7700K, which has just been a, a monster. Like this is there's a reason they don't ship a stock cooler in with with processors like this because, regardless of its TDP, this thing is a beast. And the 82.9 degrees on the chart, or the Intel stock cooler, that's just you know 100 degrees hitting T junction minus whatever ambient happened to be because these are all delta temps. So that 82.9, it really just means it was at 100 degrees and throttling and it's just not even it's never a good idea to use a stock cooler with a core i7 so huge huge gain obviously using something like that 212 evo a cooler that stands just under 160 millimeters tall if you have the space for it the black edition improves upon that significantly and then this be quiet cooler takes another degree off of it under load under extended load and then the noise the only caveat I have to the noise chart is this, this sort of 30, 31 decibel noise floor. That's literally just what the limit of my meter is. And this was completely inaudible at idle completely. And I'm standing a foot and a half away from it on an open test bench. And I cannot hear that it is operating with everything shut off in a completely like eerily silent room and house. And under full load, I, I was measuring 32.9 decibels. I don't know how realistic that is, especially considering you know a really high-end sound meter would probably be more accurate, and it's, it's not even really hitting 30. But regardless of this little group, you can see it's about five and a half decibels quieter than even the very quiet, black edition of the hyper 212 and the Intel stock cooler, which is really quiet under load because the fan doesn't spin very fast. It just, it doesn't have the cooling potential. It doesn't have a very high RPM fan on it, but this dark rock slim spinning at 1500 RPM was virtually inaudible and would absolutely be inaudible inside of a quiet case. So very impressive performance, very, very low noise, really get this because you want low noise and you want that kind of high compatibility design where there's you can use the tallest heat sinks in the world and they're not going to interfere with the fan. I mean, don't go too tall or you'll block half of the fan, but it it really does it, it's impressive to me that you've you've taken what was that sort of idea, the Slim Tower that we've seen for a few years as the dominant aftermarket cooler from Cooler Master. And given it the ultra premium be quiet treatment, where it looks really cool because it's all black and it's very functional, gives great temps and ultra low noise. The only potential downside to this is price because its list price is fifty nine ninety. When I published this, it wasn't on Amazon and Newegg yet, but you know at, at sixty dollars, it starts to become a little tough. As good as the the Hyper Two Twelve Black Edition is which sells for about 35 30 I think it was 36.99 when I checked. 36.99 you're within a degree of this but you're 5 decibels louder. So if you really really want a, a as quiet of a PC as you can get that's where you're paying that premium and you pay a premium for really silent cases too. So this is just it's true to their name. I mean it's it it's probably a joke that everybody makes every time they re- review a be quiet product but this is a company that started making noise damping panels for cases, and they've make, they make their own coolers. They're Germany's like number one power supply brand. and one of the world's leading power supply companies, but the fans they use in those power supplies and the fans they use in those cases make really, really good cooling fans for something like this, and it's very impressive to see even being punished with an i7-7700K, keeping things down and virtually inaudible this thing cannot get loud because the fan is just that quiet and the design of these fins there's not really that turbulent air noise i've had i've had coolers in here that don't spin very fast but you still hear them just because of the the air against the heat sink and this design is extremely well optimized for low noise all the way through from fan to heat sink
0: all right uh well let's uh so that that's uh very impressive. And I know we saw this at CES and they were very proud of this. Um, so. A good, yeah, I, a good I was option.
3: expecting it to be small and that being the selling point, but really, really good thermals. I, I'm sure if we, and I will be reviewing the, the full size dark rock coolers too, because I have those in and I'm sure those will be giving us lower temps, but at some point, how low do you need to go? So if, if you're absolutely chasing the lowest temps, yeah, get one of the bigger coolers, and they have a tremendous, uh, like, capacity. Like the biggest one, the Dark Rock Pro Four, is 250 watt cooler. And there's a special Threadripper version of that. But if you know, if you don't mind being a few degrees warmer and want that smaller footprint, that's why you go with something like this.
0: A, sh- a shout out to uh, MIR PPC, M I R underscore PPC in Discord uh, for. Uh, uh, calling out the Patreon campaign. As, as you know, we do have that going at patreon.com slash PC per, uh, we normally mention it at the beginning, cause I, I forgot, cause we have so much stuff uh, this week. Obviously we're almost at two and a half hours now. So uh, if, if you uh, normally, if you donate during the uh, show and it would help if I did it at the beginning, you uh, will read your name out aloud or whatever you put in the name field. Uh, so we're, we're thankful to all of you who continue to be uh, Patreon supporters. It really means a lot. It really makes a difference and uh, we'll, we'll remember to do that next time, but uh, uh, check that out patreon.com slash pc now let's uh, we, we got J- uh, jeremy's pick out of the week uh, pick of the week out of the way. Gosh my brain is shutting down uh, so let's uh, quickly do uh, ours here, and I think Josh left one too before he, he uh, pieced out did. but uh, so my pick uh, is uh, a show that is no longer the worst Star Trek show on uh you know in in the franchise's history uh and that that's enterprise uh i got a chance it wasn't
3: wasn't that
0: bad no no, that's my point that's kind of my point so my i watched it when it was live i think i revisited parts of it at some point over the last 15 years but i wasn't as familiar with it as i mean like i'll rewatch next gen and voyager and the original series pretty regularly this is one i i generally uh, haven't gone back to as frequently So it was good because with all this traveling, I've been watching the episodes on the planes and stuff. And I got, I had forgotten about some of these episodes. So it was good to kind of revisit them and watching it again from this perspective, uh, my distaste with the way that the producers have handled discovery is I'm sure playing into it. But up until then, this was considered by most to be the weakest of the, of the four shows. Well, five, if you count animated series, but, uh, but watching it again, there were some weak parts to begin with um, in the in the beginning. But Enterprise, um, it kind of, it really pulled us together towards the end. There were some really great episodes. Uh, the casting was pretty good. And the thing that I kind of realized, and I was reading some some old forms as I was watching some episodes. The, now, obviously, there's, there was a challenge between the producers and the writers. But there was clearly, a, a, at some point, an effort on the part of the the showrunners, to portray Archer, the captain, Scott Bakula, as a bad captain. Because throughout all the other series, most of our captains, Kirk and Picard and Janeway, they're, they're heroes. They're perfect. They're the, the leaders of the fleet. Archer, if you're not familiar with the show, this is, it takes place before the original series, he got the job because his dad built the warp five engine that powers this vessel. He's a political appointee or, you know, a PR stunt. You know, he was involved in his his father's work for 20, 30 years, however long it was. And he got the job as, you know, he didn't have a lot of experience as a captain. He didn't have a lot of experience in deep space. And, and it shows a lot of the things he does are stupid and were chalked up to bad writing at the time, I think. But in hindsight, it felt now like it's just, well, he just wasn't that good of a captain. This was new to these people. Uh, So watching it from that perspective, I think uh, it was pretty entertaining and uh, you can watch it on Netflix. I think it's on CBS all access. There's several opportunities to grab it uh, through online streaming, or of course you can go pick up the DVDs and Blu-rays. It's available in HD. Um, You know, if you like Star Trek, if you missed it the first time, or if you haven't revisited it in a while, I mean, I really enjoyed it watching through it again uh, recently. So uh, hope you do too. Give it a shot and just keep in mind, you know, this isn't the Federation. This isn't experienced captains. These aren't—they're heroes, but they're not perfect uh, like some of our other characters have been. So, in that frame of mind, a lot of the episodes are really well done. Actually, a lot of the the plot holes and—or not plot holes, but poor poor choices and stuff—makes sense in that that frame of mind. So,
3: watch it at least for like the crossover episode where they basically redo the Mirror Universe TOS yes scenario for like, it was a two-parter i think mm-hmm. that was great that kind of yeah. got me into the show because i was i didn't i mean for, for one thing the show has a theme song
0: that's oh, the God, worst it's... intro oh i love that intro. just uh, it's a it's a it's it, a a remix of a um rod stewart song
3: brilliant that's perfect yeah. you know what i like scott Bakula and he made a very good captain you you he was a human captain he mm-hmm. wasn't perfect and he knew it and sometimes he needed help and he would admit it but by i think it was season 3 they finally broke down cuz if you if you i i've listened through the audio version of the 50th anniversary star trek like two volume book like star trek the first 50 years i think it's called mm-hmm. And the first book is all about kind of how it all came about. And it's kind of the same stuff if you've ever, if you've ever read a biography of uh Gene Roddenberry, it's a lot of retreading. It's a very complete tale and it has a lot of interview material. Kind of the feel you get by the time the next generation came along was the writers were kind of at odds with fans and at odds with the creators of the show because the writers wanted to do like edgy things and and have message episodes. And they wanted their own personal agendas kind of at the forefront. They wanted to do a lot of politically motivated plots. And you saw a little bit of that in the next generation. And by the the time they branched out, some of these writers were like fed up, like deep space nine basically happened because the, some of the writers who were really feeling uh, stifled, by the the actual Bible for the next gen, like the, the way they had to follow a certain style of writing and the characters had to be a certain way. They didn't want any fighting. If you look at Star Trek, the original series, there's conflict. It's like the the doctor yells at people like every two episodes. He's screaming at the captain. And he's yelling at Spock. And by the next generation, everybody kind of gets along and respects each other. And that's how they wanted it. They Gene Roddenberry wanted this perfect future where there was no conflict between the crew and he, he absolutely would not have it. It was after he died that there was some of that, I think. Mm -hmm. So by deep space nine, there's conflict galore. And that's what the writers wanted. And enterprise, it was the same thing as the beginning of the next generation where no references, the original series do not like there was, I think the second or third episode of the next generation was basically a retelling of
0: the naked now, the the original, yeah, yes, yeah. the naked now. The, the and, naked naked time being the original series episode, and then the naked now being the next gen.
3: And they wouldn't say Kirk. They were just like, "Oh, yes the uh, the Constitution class, uh, the Enterprise Constitution class." And like, yeah, it was it was a little awkward. So it was nice by the by the time Enterprise comes around, and yes, they were trying to do their own thing and be completely independent because, of course, Kirk and Spock and the original series they haven't even happened yet. So we're we're telling a new story, but ratings weren't very good. And when they brought in original series references and started trying to tie the two together a little bit more it started to get really good and I haven't watched any of Discovery but that's what I'm hearing they're trying to do with Discovery now it's like well let's bring in some original series stuff and let's, let's try to cross these two over and they're basically doing fan service which you know what if you're a Star Trek fan and you've, it's been around for 50 years Star Trek fans don't mind fan service like fans yeah. of any kind of you know, niche thing like that they like a little fan service I don't mind
0: but the, the but, problem with hey. Discovery, without going too far into this problem, with Discovery is they're doing fan service for the sake of fan service. Like it's pretty mindless. It's like, hey, okay. you recognize this ship, you recognize that guy, you recognize those uniforms. High five! And now we're gonna go <laughs> act like assholes on the bridge. The whole show is just—I uh, don't—I don't know. Uh, it bothers me. But uh, it, yeah, what anyway. is
3: the what is the best science fiction show on TV right now? Expanse oh okay but I what's think. the what's the best star trek like show on tv oh right? orville yeah see
0: yeah of course
3: so they're doing it right and that started off as basically just a parody
0: yeah it's uh seth MacFarlane really wanted and actually seth MacFarlane has several cameos in enterprise Yes. Uh, as a younger, a you know, younger man. Trek, yeah yep and so that was his love letter the orville was his love letter to the show and blending his humor in and the first couple episodes of Oroville overdid the humor, and now it's just a really solid next-gen uh, type show with jokes kind of sprinkled throughout. It's not about the humor. It's about these pretty, pretty decent stories. Yeah, so check out Orville, yeah. and check out it's The Expanse, too. If you're into hard sci-fi, yeah. The Expanse is excellent.
3: I've not seen The Expanse at all. I'll have to check it out.
0: It, it's, it's great. Um, all right, and then uh, so, uh, let me just touch on Josh's pick real quick. Uh, I believe this was his... Uh, he recommended the My Digital SSD M2X portable USB 3.1 Gen 2 PCI Express. God, these names. <laughs> it's it's an external USB enclosure that converts your PCIe NVMe to USB 3.1 Gen 2. And it's a nice little box, got a little heatsink kind of built into it. $40 at Amazon. Uh and that, again, that's that's just the enclosure. No, no drive included in that. But you get uh, get some cables with it, and a little tool set to yeah. install your drive. Decent it's Just like that one,
3: I'm i uh, I'll, I'll curious to see what the controller is. I bet it's all the same controller. I just reviewed one of those from another company called uh, Orico. That's right. Right around the same price. It was right around $40, $42. And they use a J-micron controller. And it really does pretty much saturate you know, the 10 gigabit per second transfer rate. You get like 900, 950 megabytes per second up and down, so... Those things work. They do get warm, though. I don't know if it's that controller or what, but they get pretty warm during use. But, hey, they're aluminum heat sinks built in, so it takes care of it. You don't have any throttling.
0: Yep. And sticking with storage, uh, your pick is the six six. Law.
3: Trout's Law, literally <laughs> in action. Ryan Trout, if you don't know this, he used to be the editor-in-chief of this website. And uh, he made, like bold uh, cl- not claim he made a demand he demanded 10 cents per gigabyte from this ssd industry i remember years ago i actually discovered ryan and this site watching him talking to leo on an early episode of twitch and he was reviewing a corsair ssd and it was i just i wanted an ssd so bad i was like reading and listening to anything i could find out about them i couldn't afford one i finally ended up buying one of those intel X25M's an 80 gigabyte one. I think I paid three hundred dollars for, and that was actually they dropped way down to three hundred dollars. I finally bought one, but now we're to the point. Now that trust that was 80 gigabytes. I paid three hundred dollars for the one terabyte and the two terabyte version of this Intel 660p SSD are ten cents a gigabyte. Actually, the two the two terabyte one is slightly below because it's one hundred ninety five dollars, which is current regular amazon prices they're not on sale and we're finally there like this 660p is mainstream like it's it is nvme it's pci 3 by 4 it's not the absolute fastest ssd in the world by any stretch but it's a hell of a lot faster than sata and we're talking like sata prices finally for nvme yeah and isn't it funny ryan goes to intel and then Intel SSDs hit 10 cents a gigabyte. Yeah. Took him six Over. months.
0: Ryan and Alan doing the duo.
3: Yeah. I feel like Ryan probably, I mean, it was it's Shrout's law. It's not that's, Alan's law.
0: That's true. That's true.
3: Alan just wants more. Alan wants more IOPS. Alan's all about those IOPS.
0: But. Uh, just, just to note, though, just so everyone's aware, though, that the 660p is a QLC drive. So yes. that means that the, it's got a fast cache. So for normal stuff, you're going to be operating in those, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of megabytes per second NVMe speeds. But once you've exhausted the cache, and the cache size varies based on the capacity, uh, it does slow down significantly to the point where it actually, in a sequential write, may be slower than a dense hard drive. Like some of these 8, 10 terabyte, you know, 7,200 RPM hard drives can do 250 megabytes per second sequential reads. This will do... 100, 150. So if you need it to like move massive data files back and forth, probably not the best option. But if you're doing random stuff and smaller smaller sequential stuff, obviously a much better choice than a hard drive. But just keep that yeah, in think mind.
3: Think of you, it almost as having like, like that, that uh, hybrid product, the Optane H10, mm-hmm. kind of like that. It's like you have a fast cache, you have slower NAND as well, and that one was legitimately like an Optane module and a QLC SSD in one. It was kind of like a 660p with a fast cache. But when you have an SLC cache, you get really good performance. And, you know, Samsung probably is the best known for this with their Evo series. Even though that's on TLC, I think still, I don't think they're doing QLC for those because TLC is higher performance. Yeah. And But hey, I mean, you're hitting a price point with this one. And if you're using it as a boot drive, so it gives you plenty of space and the stuff that you're doing, especially the most of the time when you're on a computer, you're doing more bursty workloads, not really, mm-hmm. really big long file transfers. So yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's a little depressing to think about it as like hard drive speed, but.
0: Well, and again, that's only in certain situations that most, most people probably won't encounter. Like, so like, you know, for for me, I've got a bunch of M.2s in my system, but I use them to copy video files like this. This is a, this is we're now at two hours and forty minutes. This is going to be, you know, three hundred gigabytes of raw video that I dump into Final Cut, and copying that over would be terrible. This a drive like that would be terrible for for something like this. So, uh, but a boot drive, even game drive, anything in smaller or or random workloads is going to be, that's where this stuff is is worth it. All right. Well, uh, that's the show. What a show. I apologize. We went so long. There was a ton of stuff at the beginning. Uh, we went out of order a little bit, uh, as I said, uh, but hopefully it all made sense to you. Hopefully you got it all. Uh, obviously we, we do, of course, doesn't make much sense saying this at the end, but we have timestamps in the YouTube description and in the podcast uh, notes. And depending on your podcast player, those may allow you to jump to certain topics. So so look for those. Uh, if, if it was too late for this one, look for those for future episodes. If you want to just jump to the stuff you're interested in, but we thank you so we'll much for joining us. Edit that
3: part into the beginning. Tell people that's at the true. beginning, like, "Hi, I'm John Tanis." That's I just That's to let you know that you can hop around using these handy links below in the description.
0: That, that's that's what I should do. Yes. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week, uh, hopefully at the normal time, uh, which is Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Thursday morning, 2 a.m. BTC. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.